Never Story, The Where Place, The Too Welcome. Potterfic Weekly of 10 episode is this, 2007, 28, April 4. Wait a minute, that's all backwards. For April 28, 2007, this is episode 10 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Weekly, and I am Jen, and I'm here with co-hosts um, Mac and Chi. Say hi, everybody. Hi, I'm Lady Chi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> okay, um, we're going to start with our news section. I think Mac has some very interesting news that I found extremely fascinating. Mac? Well, this comes from the Daily Record, Scotland's newspaper, or one of them. Uh, there's talks right now of doing a Potter-based theme park in Florida right now. Uh, J.K. Rowling is looking to sign a deal uh, reportedly for a $250 million theme park that will be located in Florida. Uh, the deal could add another £9 million to her already over £500 million fortune. Uh, and if the works go through, the park might open in the next couple of years. Uh, Universal Studios, who would sponsor the park, says that they think the Potterverse is popular enough to make the park a popular attraction well after the movies and the books are finished. That is so cool. Like, I'm so serious. I would totally be, like, one of the first people to go. I'd go. Yeah. I would so go. That sounds like a great next Potterfic Weekly summit. Oh, yeah, that could be a really fun subject. I don't know. Like, what kind of things do y'all think they would have there? Uh, like, places like to eat? Like, they would do Diagon Alley, time. maybe? Yeah, that would be cool. Like, Ollivanders. I would love to go in. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. What other news do we have? T, you were going to talk about the Reading Corner. Oh, okay. Um, I just want to remind everybody that um, on the forums this uh, coming week, the next couple of weeks, um, I'm encouraging everybody to participate in our new section, the workshop. Um, if you have a one-shot or a novel link you'd like one of the registered betas on the forum to take a look at, um, we encourage you to submit those. And coming up soon, we're going to have a discussion um, in a podcast on writing fan fiction and publishing fan fiction and where to go and how to do it and that kind of stuff. So if you have questions or comments or angry remarks, um, send them to ladychi at perfectweekly.com. Okay. Absolutely. I think that sounds like such a fabulous idea. I'm really excited about it, about hearing how it works and I know I've talked to you and I've talked to Joel some uh, some of the authors here and Ron and Mac um, and his and his Luna Mac fic which I still love and adore even though we don't talk about it very often anymore. Um, 
Like seriously, I'm so excited about this writing thing. I think it. I think it's such so fascinating that we're getting so many authors on on Potterfic Weekly. I mean, have y'all noticed the amount of authors that we've been getting? Mm-hmm. It's really fabulous. Oh, yeah. Like I'm really excited. Like we're actually getting to talk to the people who write the stories that I love so dearly. Like I know just the other day, um, Melindelio. Is that how you say her name? Melindelio. It's Melindelio. Melinda Leo. I don't know why I can't. I'm very excited about her doing, about doing one of her fakes in the future. I, I think she's an amazing writer, and I'm so excited that she's actually joined joined the forums. You know, she hasn't just joined and kind of talked. I mean, she's tried to get to know people. I really, I really appreciate that, and I think it's awesome. Um, I do want to say that if you are listening to the podcast and have not joined the forums yet, that I encourage you to come down. And join us because we have such a good time on the forums. I know lately I've been away, but I've missed you guys, and I try to make an effort to be on today some. Um, but, I mean, don't you guys agree? I mean, we've got a really good – I mean, we can all joke with each other. It's so nice. Every, the atmosphere is nice. It's kind of a very family feel to it. Yeah. What, what I've heard other, other members on the forum say is unlike – some other Harry Potter sites that are out there, we're still small, so we all know each other. It's a good community. Um, you know, we're just, we're still starting out, but we're growing really quick. So it's a good place to really become a part of something that, you know, will be bigger than life in months to come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you ever want a chance to talk to somebody about the things that you love, I think we're the perfect people for that because everyone has a, a relatively open mind about, you know, all subjects, and everyone is willing to discuss all forms of subjects. I mean, they may not agree with your opinion, um, but they'll discuss it with you, and I think that that's something really special, that we can all have great discussions and not make them arguing. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people on a lot of different forums, a lot of sites, um, they have a lot of problem with people's feelings getting hurt and remarks, things like that. Um, but what yeah, I like about our we're site... Not- we're not dedicated to any one ship or any one genre or any one time period. We'll we'll do it all. Right. So yes. So I definitely implore. If I know we have a lot of listeners out there who've not joined the forums, um, I just want to encourage or to let everybody know that if you do join the forums, it's a really we're a great bunch of people, and we'll we'd be we'd be thrilled to have you and excited to get to know you. So come join us in the forums. Perfectweekly.com. There you go. <laughs> and I think one other big point about the forums is if you think Jen and Ryan sound nice on the podcast, Jen, Ryan, and Rinna, you really need to get to know them on the forums. They're not, you will not meet nicer people in the world. And um, they're always willing to help and they've always got an opinion on something. So, um, <laughs> yeah, come on down and have some fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> so we've got our opinion on something. <laughs> but we have a good time talking about it, though. We do. Mac, do you have any other news before we move on? No, I have no news. T, any more news? Um, oh, blah, 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 blah. No. The new trailer just came out. A new chat. The, That's the true. New- the new trailers just came out for Order of the Phoenix and the Order of the Phoenix games. If you have not seen those yet, come to the website, potterfickweekly.com. We have those links up, and we're talking about those. Make sure you see those because they're fantastic. 
Yeah, I absolutely love them. I was so, so excited. And like today, what was it today or yesterday? One of the days that they came out, I don't remember if they came out today or yesterday. Um, but it, it's like trailer day, like the international trailer came out, um, which I'm, I'm guessing the UK people already know that, but it's not international to them. I don't know. Um, for the US members, we had the international trailer come out and we also had the United States second trailer come out which between the two of them I have to say that I liked the second United States US version um it showed a lot more details I think that I didn't see in the international trailer and I just I was blown away like I I was excited before I saw the trailer and I was like hopping up and down in my chair after I saw the trailer I think Absolutely. that this I think that this movie it, they're actually I appreciate that it shows that they're actually making an attempt to stick to the book, and I'm very excited about it. This is the first movie I have high hopes for, honestly. Oh, yeah. This is the first movie I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really excited since Sorcerer's Stone. I've always been kind of wary, but I think they might possibly have a chance that they might be able to do it justice this time. So they might get it right. They might get it right. I have I have well, three words to say, the only three more things to say about the the new trailer, and that is fluffy pink cardigan. <laughs> she is, she looks great. I'm so excited about her. <laughs> no, the only thing I have to say is that they had the scene. Oh my gosh, the scene where Remus is grabbing, holding on to Harry as Harry's screaming no a serious call to the bell. I was so afraid they would leave that out. And that they would make Remus a non-character in this movie, and you know, because he, you know, I don't. They could have easily. They could have just dropped him out, but they didn't, and it's in there. And I was just like, almost had tears in my eyes because in the book, to me, that is such a pivotal moment, emotional moment. And if they didn't do that moment justice, I was gonna just cry and walk out and be sad because they left out that the the big moment to me in Goblet of Fire. And so anyway, I don't want to go into that, but. I was super, super, super thrilled that they had that in there. I was ecstatic. Right. Okay. okay. Anybody else? Any, okay, I do have to say one more piece of news. As you all know, we are doing the Arabella and the Shinya interview in a few weeks. And I implore you all, if you have any questions whatsoever for the authors about anything that has to do with After the End or for the author's personal you know, anything about them, please give us your questions so that we can be sure to put them in, in the Arabella Engineer interview podcast. Um, if you don't ask your question, it won't be asked. So and how, definitely how can they form. ask us questions? Huh? How can they ask us questions? There is a... Okay. Yes. Oh, yep. Okay, it's very easy. Yeah, for those who would like to ask questions um, for the interview with Arabella and Genia, um, just visit our episodes forum, and it's under there, and it's under questions for A and Z. And we will be taking our interview questions from that forum. So please don't hesitate in, in asking tons of questions. It will, if we have to save time, obviously we'll pick and choose or we'll let them pick and choose. But I would rather have more questions than less questions, you know. And won't we be taking voicemail questions, too? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you would, please send your voicemails into 
Uh, voice mail. We would love to hear your voice. I know there's a lot of people on the forums who we've never heard before. Um, and you would like to send a voicemail questionnaire or even just a voicemail to Potterfic Weekly, please. Um, you can record that with Gizmo and send it to staff at potterficweekly.com. No, it's not. Up. Staff at Potterfic Weekly. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Right. I think that about sums the news up. Right. So, Okay. Should we move on to what we're actually here for? <laughs> yes. No, I think those things are important, and I think they also make the podcast more interactive and interesting. So I think it, they're just as important as discussing the uh, as discussing the chapters. I, I so. prefer the chapters because I like the sound of my voice, and I can talk about <laughs> the chapters more. Well, Mac, why don't you start us off with this chapter, Chapter 33, Residual Damage. Oh, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, we've just finished up Black and Potter, so if you're trying to follow along, that's where we're at. And I have to say, I love Remus as a teacher in this moment because the chapter starts out with Ginny approaching him, asking permission to do something stupid, and he would have to say no. And that's, that's starting out the chapter. And I just love how Remus tries to stay neutral throughout the whole thing after years of experience with James and Sirius. Uh, never giving her any, any, any breath at all of yes or no. Just saying, hmm, like any good teacher should. So, yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of, of Remus right here interacting with Jean? With Jean? I was going to say, I really, I personally love how Remus is being so. I don't even know the word. Like he, he absolutely knows where she's going. I think, and he's purposely being hard-headed about it. Like, he's purposely trying to mislead her because he really hopes that she's not going to ask what he thinks she's going to ask, even though she knows he knows what she's going to ask. Um, and I love that it's very... I don't know. You can't not like Remus in this in this chapter, and yet you want him to be more upfront with Jenny. You want him to... Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, You know, not necessarily. I don't think that Remus is necessarily a confrontational person. He's not... I mean, we see time and time again in the books instances where he could confront somebody and and doesn't. And it's just, you know, it's part of his personality, but, but I think it stems back to the fact that, you know, I can't create conflict because I have enough issues with people liking me anyway. I think this is very in character for Ramus, um, actually. This is... Um, Anthony and Ramus isn't my favorite Ramus, but he, he's pretty up there. I, I enjoy this interpretation of him. Well, I have to say that through this whole like, through this whole chapter especially, I was a little turned off by Jenny being so young here. Right. I'm 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 getting really tired of her one minute being you know, and this has nothing to do with the author or anything. This is like Jenny's character how Jenny is like one minute she's superwoman and she just understands people and she's mature and she you know and she's a take charge woman and the next minute she's like you know wringing her hands together and scruffing her feet on the floor and head bowed and you know asking Remus for permission for things like a child it's it's really hard to it's really hard for me to see her be this young and kind of 
aloof type of person and yet desperately wanting approval from an adult figure. And at the same time, I know that, you know, she just fought in a war and they've, they've all matured so much. And well, I, I think things young at times, it, it, it's like a harsh shift back to her being young. And I'm always going, I'm always surprised when I, when I read that she's young again, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, the I know. problem I have right here is that it's not that she's young, it's that she's trying to appear young. Yeah, because that's, that's it. Right off, she says, you know, well, I wanted to tell you first. And he's like, well, tell her, ask. So, I mean, she's she's still trying to be Superwoman and do what she wants to do, but now she's trying to do it with permission and appear coy about it. And it's not working. And I think that's kind of what annoys me about her, is I just wish she'd be up front and say, I want to do this. I want to help the Grangers. I'm going to help the Grangers. I'd like it if you came with me rather than, you know, kick at her feet and look down at the ground and try and play innocent because he can see right past it. We can see right past it. And playing dumb, I think, is just kind of hurting her right here. Yeah, I think... I agree. I I think Jenny just... She's... I mean, she she's just so young. And I think, you know, the mistake that we as readers make that Arabella and Zinnia, I think, in this moment are deliberately avoiding is we tend to, we'll write like a Harry Potter fic where um, they're um, 17 or 18, but they'll, we'll write them like they're 21 or 22, which, you know, is fine. I mean, they're mature, they fought in a war, but you still, you know, certain things can age you, but you're still going to have to figure out how to relate to people. And I don't really think that you effectively become an expert at that until you're way past how old I am. <laughs> you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. So I can see how she's, I mean, she's just trying to maneuver here. She's not doing it in a way that's necessarily effective, but it's pretty typical for the age that she is, you know, I think. And, no, and, you're wrong. Well, and the other thing is she's not picking up on the subtleties that, Remus is trying to send her, which is while she's asking all of this, he's covering her paper with red ink. (laughs) And that right there should already tell her, because, you know, the big problem we're getting into with Ginny in these these later chapters is she's starting to overextend herself and not knowing her limits. And, uh, you know, I just you want her as an adult to recognize her limits and she, she has yet to do that. Right. Right. No, I totally agree. You're perfect. You said it perfectly. I think, but, you know, that's one of the big challenges of growing up is, you know, this is a lesson that manifests itself a lot in my life is that I think, especially like as women, Jen can back me up on this. We got to think that we have to do everything, you know, we have to go to work, you know, have to clean. Someday we might eventually want to be parents, and we have to work clean and be parents and cook dinner. Okay. And, you know, wait to get married. <laughs> then it's really expected. Right. And exactly. Very early on that I was not the typical wife. Yeah. <laughs> they, um, yeah. They, I, I think that, you know, this is a lesson that all grown-ups have to learn eventually is that we have to learn how to say no. I think especially for people who have personality types like Jenny or, or myself, you know, I had to learn how to say no in the last couple of, in the last month or so as I've been learning to deal with a motto, you know, 
you can't always do stuff. You have to tell professors and, and your fellow students and your employer. You have to say no, you know. Yeah. You, you can't be any of you can't be of any use to anybody if you're not well. And Jenny has to learn that eventually. <laughs> well, I think that's with any you know, I think that's with anybody growing up. Like I knew that when I was in high school I was like miss it. I had to be in everything. I was, you know, vice president of student council, president of National Honor Society. I was in all musicals. I was drum major. I was, you know, but like all of everything possible. And I remember going to college and going, oh gosh, I want to do everything. And I ended up being stretched too thin. I got two degrees and because I couldn't decide on what I wanted to do. And, you know, I picked up photography on the side because I needed something else. And I was just, you know, and I was, by the end of college, I was so burnt out because I tried to stretch myself too thin. And I think that is something that everybody has to grow up. I think that a lot of people grow up sooner than I did. You know, I think 22, 21 is a little bit late. I was always a little bit on the more immature side, I admit. Um, but I also think that her wanting to do everything is very natural for her age and especially from a girl who has just had all the doors open to her when a war just ended. I mean, they probably none of them thought they'd even survive it, much less think of the future. I mean, look at Harry. Um, so I can understand her even more so wanting to stretch herself thin. And I, I, I just think it's lovely characterization that Arabella and Junya used to write that. Yeah, and yeah, that's one of the few reasons I, 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 I like her is because even though she is going too far, her motivations for it are all good. She's yeah, only doing yeah. it because she wants to help people, and that's why I, as, as, as much of a mistake as she's making, I just can't really get upset at her because I'm like, well, you know, it's Hermione's parents. It's Harry. It's her dad's you ministry. Can't fault she can't her. say no to any of those. Right. And they're all important. And it, I think it was Ryan, or someone said something last time we recorded, and and I think it was Ryan, and he said, um, it's so funny because all of these heroes are living under the same roof, and that none of them ever rec- none of them ever recognize that fact that they are all they all are so so important to, to not only the wizarding world but you know to their side of the war to the good side, and I just think that Ginny has all the more pressure on her to fulfill her part of the the family group. You, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got, she has to heal everybody. I mean, they're all looking for a savior who's not, you know, they're always looking to somebody and she gets to be it. And she wants to, she has that urge and that longing to do it. And all the people around her can do is just keep telling her, um, well, we need all this done, but well, you're not ready. You know, and I can imagine how frustrating that would be to have such a gift and have everyone around me tell me, no, it's too dangerous. No, you're going to get hurt. I mean, you get to a point where you, you either do it or you feel so useless, and, and then it's do you feel more worse because you feel useless. Do you, you know? Right. Uh, I think this is kind of the crisis of adolescence, you know, is is what is my purpose in life? And Jenny has sort of had hers handed to her, but she's got to learn how to deal with all the ins and outs and the... And, and she's asking too much of herself, and the people around her are right to a certain extent. But the, at the end of the day, you know yourself, you know. And um, 
right. you know, God bless them for having their her best interest in heart, but you, know, you do kind of have to learn your own limits by yourself. Your teachers aren't always going to know, and your parents aren't always going to know, and your friends aren't always going to know. It's going to have to, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. Well, how hard do you think it is for Remus to keep telling Jenny, no, you can't help me, when I know that I, for one, am personally curious to know if she could ever heal Remus. You know, I don't think that it's impossible. I don't think anything in the wizarding world is impossible very much, or at least very many things. Um, How hard do you think it is for him to keep holding her back? I mean, he seems to be the only one that really does that, with the exception of Harry, but Harry doesn't want to. I mean, he does it because he has to. Now, see, I always saw lycanthropy or uh, werewolfism as (laughs) kind of parallel to cancer in that some things about it can be treated, but on the whole, it hasn't been cured yet. And there have been healers in the past and there have been werewolves in the past. And odds are, if it could have been done in the past, it would have. So he, you know, Ginny being the solution to him being a werewolf, she can ease his pain after his transformations, but I never saw it as she could ultimately solve his problem. No, I, I don't. I don't think that 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 that's. I mean, it, it's not curable. There are some things in the wizarding world that are permanent. You know, death is permanent. Um, and 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 so I think is. I mean, I think after a certain point, um. You just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this one, Mac. I, I can't, I was trying to articulate my point, but I failed miserably. <laughs> I agree. I just, I just like to break you down. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's my favorite pastime. <laughs> That's okay. To move on discussion, um, past the werewolfism, I want to know what you guys thought. Uh, Jenny goes to check out the Grangers, and they came up with this idea for a residual curse that continues to course over their body. And I wanted to know that I've never read anything like that uh, before and and I have a very limited experience in readings. But what did you guys think of that that whole concept as what is keeping the Grangers from getting better? Well, I will say that I don't think it's your limited uh, fan fiction, you know, knowledge. It's not, I've never read anything like this. Um, you know, I honestly, this is the only story that has had this creative of an idea about how the curse works and how, you know, the long bottoms are still insane. And I thought it was extremely interesting. Like, I really loved the specific detail they go into. And um, I don't know, I just really thought it was a neat idea. I thought it was a horrific idea. I mean, it's one of those things that you just go, oh, my gosh. And it just, instead of getting better, it just keeps getting worse. And, like, that hole in your gut just kind of grows as you keep reading because you realize um, – how but how horrible i mean that they're in pain all the time and they you know terrible pain and and that's what they feel all the time and although the pain is that the way the curse is still there and i don't i just thought it was fantastic fantastically done and like i said i've never actually thought of the curse i don't think i ever thought of it of what happens or why it happens or you know why constant use of it would make somebody go insane or to go into a coma and I don't know, what did you... I, I, it's one of those things that I think makes this story so 
so well loved, you know? Because it's a problem that doesn't necessarily come to your mind right away. But now that it's here, you know, how does a curse work? Why are they insane? You know, I just kind of, I don't know about y'all, but I just kind of assumed that they, the long bones had um, been tortured for so long, something inside them just snapped, you know? I didn't necessarily think it was, you know, uh, this residual damage thing. And at this point in time, you'll have to remember, we didn't necessarily know what kind of state the long bottoms are in. It wasn't until Order of the Phoenix that we got to see how the long bottoms were. So this, I mean, this is a very original idea. Hoist A and Z because I, nobody before or since has ever written anything like it. Right. And I'll see, I've read this this stick probably about five or six times, and after, you know, the third read-through, I started kind of picking at the details because I'm a nitpick like that. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that bothered me about this idea, because I thought it was great, and it made you feel even more for the Grangers and more for Hermione and the possibilities of Healer, and it really tied some of the stories together nicely. But then I wondered, surely the Grangers and the Longbottoms aren't the only two who have been tortured to that extent by Death Eaters. And, you know, not to death, but not just little birds. So why is it that we don't hear of other people like this? And if that's if this is something that happens, if the Cruciatus curse actually stays with you, then how come people who only get short, you know, one-time bursts, like Harry, have an even smaller remnant of residual damage that Ginny would have picked on, picked up on sooner than this? Well, who's to say she hasn't? I mean, she didn't even know Ron's until she got on him. What? I mean, she noticed Ron's. I mean, yeah. I don't think she's she's put her I don't think she's put her hands on Harry's forehead. And maybe it maybe just once or twice it doesn't actually show up because I think Ron's was like over and over and over for like twenty four hours, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But then why is he Ron's was I don't, anywhere near as extensive as the Grangers. Well, he's not in that state. But at the same time I think it was probably more than Harry ever experienced. Definitely. Definitely but but then again, you know, Jenny, as of now, has not actually had that much time to get around him. I mean, she hasn't been allowed to be around him, so who's to say he doesn't have it? Just we haven't yeah. learned that yet. That's true. In, in terms of plot structure, this is kind of late. This is a very kind of important piece of information, and it comes kind of late in the story. Did anybody else notice that besides me? I was going. I kind of liked it. I like that it took this long to find out because it, it makes you more curious. I mean, there have been obviously there's been foreshadowing about you know something. We knew something happened. We knew that you know there were hints, but I mean, I don't know. I like the suspense. I like that we don't find out the big stuff until the end of the story. To me, yeah. that circle that that is also I think a good something that makes a fake a really good fake in that they keep all those things in their mind. I mean, we want to know what happened to Hagrid. We want to know these things, and, you know, we don't get around to them until the end. They keep you going. And and I think that it also shows a completed fake versus a WIP because 
it circles to completion. I mean, everything, all the little details. In in some way or another, you feel a sense of completion. So I don't know. I think I think that's just part of the way they wrote the story, and I think it's amazing. And I think that a lot of authors that do fix and they say, "Well, I'm done," and you don't get that sense of completion, and it's because they don't circle back and and tell you, "Well, you know, this happened and this happened." And I don't know. I really like that it was at the end. I, I think I think when fix try to do, well, here's this and here's this and here's this. And tell you why all in the beginning it loses its appeal it loses its suspense and creativity and it's just kind of like here's a bunch of information absorb it okay now we're going to move to our story those things don't work out as well yeah yeah i know i they do a very good job of balancing exposition and action just in general um yeah. but you know if there is one criticism of after the end it is that it is too long, and it's a little bit lopsided. And um, you know, Jen, you're going to disagree with me. I just I can feel you over there going, "It is not too long." <laughs> but um, yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure Arabella and Danielle will tell you. I mean, it, just, it kind of was like this. It just seems to me. Like, it was this monster of a thick, because, it, I mean, it was so good. There was so much information that it just kind of it away from them and um, not necessarily got away from them in terms of writing, necessarily, just in terms of, I mean, there's a lot to absorb, if you haven't noticed, in After the End. So, I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. I would have advised them to two or... Um, something of that nature but that's just me you can call me crazy um and then you know after all of this they discover Ginny finally learns and she says no this is too much for me I can't do this and she actually sets a limit for herself finally yay for Ginny yay yeah I I was I was glad to finally see that because you know after a certain point you kind of get just frustrated with these characters you know and any any longer, and I probably would have jumped inside the thick and smacked her upside the head. That was just me, though. So. Yeah, unlike some of our other hosts, though, I'm not big on smacking and beating up characters. But. Well, yeah, you wouldn't be, but <laughs> I am. I am. You I guess. Um, and speaking of smacking characters, this is another situation that I just I want to put my foot down on. We move on to Fleur finally working with Penelope and Hermione on the Contagion yes. spell. Which, mm-hmm. it, that's not what bothers me. What bothers me is Fleur and Bill, but yeah, they're, <laughs> they're stupid like everyone else. They're all stupid. They're all dumb characters. Yeah, well, you know, they're all... These mistakes. No, no, we're all... Everybody in the world is a perfect um, romantic partner except for these people. Yeah, so, which is why we like to read fiction, because fiction, fiction characters are flawed, and real people are never flawed. Exactly. You know, Matt, you and I are two prime examples of perfect people. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I really liked about this part was when Fleur and Hermione finally meet face-to-face, and I'm, ra- I'm waiting for a cat fight to break out, because are you? just reading this, you know, there's obvious tension between them. There's a lot. Did you pick up on that? Yeah. I think the nice thing about 
the nice thing about Arabella and Zinnia being two women is that this this tension between Hermione and Fleur is so perfect. You know, it's subtle, but it's palpable. You can kind of tell Hermione still doesn't like Fleur very much, and Fleur is not sure what she thinks of Hermione. So... I like it because they're, they're, they're two characters that just don't interact that often. And considering the way that Ron had acted towards Fleur in the past, it, you know, you Hermione doesn't really quite like Fleur, and Fleur's not sure how she feels about Hermione, and that works. Yeah. What do you think of Penelope in this scene? She seems very accommodating. Yes. And it was, to me, I was like, wow, Mrs. Weasley really rubbed off on her. Yeah. Now that she's not in the house, she's acting just like I would expect Molly to. You know, make yourself at home. Feel free to operate in. You know, I'm going to go get lunch. Yeah. That seemed a little bit bizarre. I'm not necessarily the world's biggest fan of Penelope in this sick, and I'm going to say that while Jen is not here, um, because, um, I don't know, she just never quite hits the right emotional moments, and maybe I'm the only person in the world that has this problem. But... She just had a baby. Give her a break. I mean, huh? She just had a kid. Give her a break. I'm giving her a break. I'm not necessarily saying it's it's Penelope's fault. I don't know. I just think all the scenes that she's in, you know, where she's having to deal with the loss of maybe it's just because I I don't have that much of a connection with Penelope. Like from the books, you don't really see a whole lot of her, so I don't really care that much about her. That could possibly be my problem. You know. Well, I I have that problem more when you get to thinking about Percy. Yeah. Like, when the Percy situation gets brought up and when Fleur and her are talking about Percy, uh, or when Fleur sees the picture and recognizes Percy, that's when the feelings get a little fuzzy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but, I mean, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't hit exactly like you feel it should. It's not wrong. It's just there's something yeah. about her that... I mean, I don't think she's entirely dealt with Percy's death, and maybe that's what it is. That's what we're feeling without ever putting a name to it throughout the entire fic. Yeah. I don't know. I I just have a... And Ryan makes fun of me all the time, but I just have an irrational dislike of this character in this fic. I don't know. She swallowed the fly. Okay. It is irrational. Yeah. Um... So what do you think of this? So they're they're doing you know they're they're she's Fleur is there to build the farm, and it works but very you know coquettishly I thought says well I can build it but I I wouldn't be able to test it right we really need to bring in an expert you know <clears throat> let me think of who I know off the top of my head yeah. That's, um, yeah. It, it was one of those other situations where you just wanted to hit Fleur over the head with something heavy. Well, I, <laughs> I, I really, this is why I loved Hermione, with her putting it together right at the end. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, well, Bill, you know, I think I remember Ron mentioning in his letter about Bill, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll ask Bill. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Fleur was not being subtle at all right there. No, no, she wasn't. But, you know, that's kind of nice because it's kind of like the antithesis of what, you know, Avila would do. 
Yeah, well, kind of, yeah. I mean, it would have been more subtle about it. So, yeah. I do like that. I, I kind of, I'm of two minds of it, I guess. But, um, yeah. So, do you have anything else you want to talk about in that scene? No. Something else? That's, I mean, it was, it was pretty straightforward. Yeah. All right, so we move on. Go. Go ahead. You go. Okay. I'm going to move on. So if you have another point, you need to go now. Nope. Move on. Okay. Um, so with the next scene, we move on to Max and Molly. And I have to say, this is one of my more favorite relationships in After the End. I, you know, I, I always, like, at the beginning of the stick, I'm always not sure whether I like Max or not. And then somewhere around the middle, I remember that I really like him. <laughs> I've only read I've only read this fic like twenty times, so yeah. What do you What are your thoughts and opinions on that? Well, honestly, since we're about to get to this, I don't like Max at all, but I love Adam. Like un, un, until right about this point, you know, he's just he's a prat and a brat, and just, he's stuck up and haughty, and he's he's kind of got that Draco thing going for him. And I'm not a big Draco fan, so I don't like his attitude on anybody. But then, you know, as he slowly becomes a part of the family uh, and, you know, they find out who he is and he, Bill slips his name in there so naturally, yeah. then, you know, he just starts to soften up. And once he starts to soften up and let his guard down, that's when, you know, I really come to appreciate him as a character. And then I can look back on Max and say, you know, well, Max was Adam with his guard up. Yeah. And... And, you know, it's unfortunate he had to have that guard up, but you have to think, you know, he believes his parents are dead. He's been living down in a cellar, begging for change. you got to feel bad for the kid. But once, you know, he really lets his guard down and lets Weasley see his true self, I really like him even more because he just seems to fit with them, just like one of their own kids. Yes. Yes. You know, I think this is a testimony also to, to the Weasleys, you know, and they're, uh, you know, in, in the books, it always tells me how open they are, you know. They have very wide open arms, the Weasleys, to any mm-hmm. in the in the Harry Potter series in itself, it was Harry Potter, and now it's Adam Free Hope Hill Jr., and I, I, I really like that they're allowing Molly to be a mom again, for one thing, because I think that she's more happy when she has kids running. And for another thing, they made this interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I love that little conversation that she has with Arthur, you know, and she's like, I, I, I think I want a full house again. Am I crazy? And he's like, yeah, you're crazy. But in that loving husband and wife way, and he doesn't really mean it. And, yeah. you know, we we get to see that private relationship that we don't see in front of their kids. And I like that, too, because it is romantic. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's Molly, the wife, who we don't often see. Right. And she's adorable. And they're, they're, they're good people. And I like reading about just good people. Yes. And, you know, the nice thing about the Harry Potter series, I think, is that, you know, I, I think Bill says it best. One of the earlier chapters of After the End, or maybe it's in one of the later chapters, I don't know. He says... Um, Bill Weasley says, you know, when it comes right down to all that matters is that good wins. You know? And I think that, that this this story and the series itself are um, extreme, I mean, very good examples of of how that applies to real life. 
I very yeah. much enjoy that. Although that is a few chapters ahead of where we are. Oh, is that really? Yeah. See, I can never remember. <laughs> you, I, I'm sure that Brenna and Man and Jen will talk about that line because it's my favorite. Did you hear that, Brenna, Vine and, and Jen? <laughs> that doesn't spoil too much, him saying that line, because we don't know the context, so. Right, right. Okay. Um, so we talked about Adam. And we talked about Bill showing up, and you know, I'm 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 just I'm I would be interested I would be interested in the one shot about Adam at Hogwarts. Somebody needs to get on that. I want to know what he's like, you know, once he gets out of this Weasley environment. If he gets sorted into Slytherin, if he gets sorted into Gryffindor. Well, we already know he's a Slytherin. We know he's a Slytherin. Yeah, because they, they get his report card right here, and they say, you know, Slytherin, top of oh, yeah. his class. His grades look just like Bill and Percy's did. Um, and I think he's getting ready to start his third year or his second year. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, yeah, I'm remembering that now. The more you say that, the more I remember it. Yeah, I haven't read the I, – I just want to explain that um, – I got called in to do this podcast earlier this week, and I haven't reread these chapters in a couple of months, so I'm kind of rusty. All right. Um, Not in your homework. I know. Okay. Our listeners are expecting a quality show with hosts who know what they're talking about. And I know. Folly, I know. You're just an accomplished author and fan of the work. You've only read a couple dozen times. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. It's all and you, okay. You know the relationship I really like is not so much Molly and Adam, but Bill and Adam. Yeah. Because Bill Bill takes over that big brother role that he's so natural at. Yeah. And I mean we don't really get to see him with a younger kid. But I mean this is how I imagine Bill always being with his his younger brothers and sister. And I'm I, I like seeing Bill the big brother. Me too. I, I think that's one of the downsides of the series itself is that we don't get to see the Weasleys as a family interact a lot. You know, mm. we don't get to see the dynamic between, um, particularly the dynamic between Bill and Jenny has always interested me. Like, how how is that? You know, because he's so much older than her and she's the only girl. And you know, I, I just I would like to see more of Bill and Charlie because that they're interesting characters. And now we don't really see a lot of adults um, in the Harry Potter universe that aren't teachers or oars, you know? So, or order the Phoenix members. I I don't know. I can see what that would be like. Yeah. And I think that was a very good interpretation of Bill, you know, as we would like Bill to be. Sigh. Sigh. The ideal Bill. Okay. So, um... Do we want to talk about anything else? Oh, okay. Um, so now we um, we get to Malfoy and Harry, and um, we kind of get to see that. I mean, it kind of makes me uh, makes me laugh that they're still in this dynamic that they've had since first year. You know, neither one of them can move past this. Um, Hatred that they have. Well, not yeah, hatred. We're gonna call it hatred because that's what it is. We're not gonna mince words. Um, you know, they still have this hatred that they've had for each other 
since their school days. And uh, the war has only agitated that. And I, for yeah. one, don't like Draco Malfoy, so I'm not, like, the best person to, to you know... Uh, you know, Jen, if she were to know my... If I were to give my real opinion on Draco Malfoy, she would get very upset with me. But... Yeah, um, you and me both. Um, you know, I, I just... I don't see him as a redeemable character. I well, don't. I mean, you see, that's kind of a, like a long-term... But in this part of the story, right now, it's it's the petty... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's the petty hatred, level of hatred between Harry and Malfoy, because it's Malfoy making snotty little remarks about Harry, only this time he's making them about Harry concerning Ginny. Yeah. And how Harry Potter looks with the white hair and making comments with his girlfriend, which are, in a lot of ways, more personal to Harry than anything else Malfoy has ever said to him. Right. And I would love to see a dragon fight between the two dragons and Harry Malfoy Ryan on them, and the end result is Harry kicking Draco off and then the Ridgeback Norbert eating him. <laughs> hey there. That's funny. And having a I, um, Can't you know, I... Yeah. Only there is just one. <laughs> and, you know, I do... I enjoy this moment where Harry is... I mean, I, I think it's so great how Harry kind of has this moment where he thinks Draco Malfoy gets to touch her more often than I do. You know, and how heartbreaking would that be? Like, if you're our worst enemy in the world, um, you know, God to touch your girlfriend more often than he did. I, that would I just can't be... imagine it, A, because I don't have a worst enemy, uh, and, and B, just because the and this is where I'll speak from a guy's perspective, to see someone that you truly loathe, even if it's not real physical contact. I mean, he's not hugging her, he's not kissing her, he's not doing anything like that, but I'm trying to put myself in Harry's shoes, and if I'm with Ginny, and I can't touch her, I can't be near her, I can talk to her, but even that's a little bit strained, and all I want to do really is just spend time with her, to be open with her, to get back to what was really normal and good to be able to hug her and kiss her. And for two hours a day, every day, I've got to watch that snot Draco go down there and hold her around the stomach and be that close to her with the added bonus of the mentors, which is essentially a, a, the form of depression is what that is. Right. Fine all around me it would drive me into nothing short of a pure rage and how Harry keeps his cool throughout all of this, especially when Malfoy's making the comments like he's making is beyond yeah. me. Cause I don't, I don't think I have the self-control to do it. You know, I'm more like Ron in the fact that eventually, you know, I think if it were Ron and Hermione in those situations, Ron would have attacked in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know um, what necessarily is motivating. I know and I, here's where I get really frustrated with Jenny a lot of times, is she doesn't, I don't think in my mind she shows enough empathy empathy for what Harry is going through. You know, for a healer, sometimes she can be really dense. What? Well, yeah, I, I, that's a good way of putting it. For a healer, she can be awfully dense. Yeah. Because I don't think she really, you know, she's like, I get it. It's got to suck watching me and Draco together. But there's nothing going on, so get over it. But it's not yeah. just that. Even if there's nothing going on, it's the ideas that are going through Harry's mind. 
And and that's what happens, you know, as soon as Malfoy leaves and Harry gets the big smoke screen uh, in his face. And, you know, this is when he starts having these negative thoughts when a Dementor flies underneath him and gets past him. You know, you add that all together and you're just like, Ginny's really being inconsiderate because she doesn't get what's going on. And even right. later when he says to her in the dragon camp, he says, you know, I, that Dementor that got loose, it was because of me. I didn't have the strength to get by. You know, what I would have loved for him to say is because I was too busy imagining him with you. It, it's it's that sickening to me. She, I still wish she would have picked up on it right there. Yeah. Seeing what this is doing. And you're right. She does. She just doesn't empathize with Harry enough and what he's going through, not just physically and having to watch them, but mentally. That's mental anguish on levels I can't comprehend. Right. You know, I, you know, I've, I've been with enough people in my life to know that you just, I mean, it's just, it drives you nuts, you know, because it, it could be, you know, it's just, some days I just want to smack her. Okay. So moving on from Jenny's obvious emotional incompetence. Um, <laughs> um, she's up on the dragon with Malfoy and she makes the offer to heal him. And I really want to touch on this because this is the part of the thing where I, you know, I, I think they want me to feel sorry for Malfoy and I can't make myself go there. <laughs> you know? Well, we don't get that yet. We get that later when they're in the pub together. Right. But, I, I see, the thing is, I, I saw it as a way to further push the plot ahead and take yeah. an already strained relationship between Harry and Ginny, which we waited for for the first pacific, and then push it to a boiling point. And, you know, uh, we can see that this is going down the wrong road quicker and quicker, and every decision that both Harry and Ginny makes is making things so much worse. Oh, yeah. And, and then she offers to heal Draco, which I understand, you know, her reasons are, I have to sit next to him, I have to feel him the whole time, and he's just like Harry, only I don't have feelings for him, so I can actually work on him, and it's good practice, and it'll help me when I'm healing dragons, but still... This is Ginny. I mean, I understand the offer. I just, I just think it's so insensitive of her, really. You know, on a, on a, you just want to go. Where, where's your brain, girlfriend? Because you obviously left it at home today. (laughs) And so, um, Harry is standing, and he's had to go through this awful thing, mentally, and. And he overhears Jenny um, and Malfoy make plans to go to the pub together. And this absolutely broke my heart, I have to say. Oh, mine too. You know, because I I honestly, I can see Harry's point so much more easier. I mean, it's so much easier for me to understand where Harry is coming from than it is for me to understand where Jenny is coming from. Which is odd yeah. because he's a man, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I, I don't I know. Mean, I, I think 
I think everybody understands where Harry's coming from right here better than Ginny. And if there's somebody who understands Ginny's point of view right here better than Harry's, please leave me a voicemail or uh, an email at mac at potterfickweekly.com because I would love to hear uh, your point of view on this because I can't imagine anyone being able to feel for Ginny more than Harry right here. Yeah. And, you know, I think Harry should get Boyfriend of the Year awarded points because at the end, you know, he admits to her, A, that he's he was too weak to fight the Dementor. And B, they make, they're still on for Sunday, you know. She's obviously, she's done what I would consider a personal betrayal, basically. And they're still going to meet later on that week. So Harry's making an effort to understand where she's coming from. And that mm-hmm. should get him boyfriend of the year points. That would be, ah, oh, this man today was that sensitive. Okay. I digress. But yes. <laughs> okay. So do you want to move on then to the next scene? No, I want to skip the next scene completely and totally. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that we're the I don't think we're the best people to discuss the Jenny Draco scene because yeah <laughs> I'm not very happy okay. with Jenny and I hate Draco so well I'll t- I'll take us there so Jenny okay, has just broken Harry's heart a little bit more drove the nail a little bit deeper and Harry has just gotten his boyfriend points and she goes off who's the Leaping Fish Tavern, alone with Draco. And the first thing that really struck me, and I didn't see this coming, was Draco sitting there just absolutely getting hammered, sloshed as can possibly be doing this, because I thought he'd want to uphold his prideful, boastful, kind of pompous attitude around her. But Mm -hmm. no, he lets himself get, get drunk. And yeah, I, I, but at the same time, I think that works better because we get to see Draco unhinged. And when Draco becomes unhinged, that's the only time I really feel any kind of sympathy for him because he really lets his emotions out. And mm-hmm. this is the only time I see him as redeemable because, you know, when Harry and Ron and Hermione get drunk, it's funny. When yeah. Draco gets drunk and starts talking about his father and how his side of the war wasn't nice. And even though he's throwing insults that aren't normally as mean or sometimes meaner, depends on how witty he's being, yeah. he's still his pain is so much more evident. And you have to take a moment to stop and say as much as you hate him for being pompous and snotty and saying so many rude things to all of our favorite characters... He's alone. Yeah. His father's died, and Ginny right here, and this is where, this is where I feel more sympathy for him than any other point, when she begins to sense that Draco had let down his father, and he'd never get the chance to redeem himself because his father was dead. And right. I, I cherish the father-son relationship probably more than most relationships in Fix. So to see someone who has failed in their father's eyes and doesn't have a chance to make up for it is incredibly painful in my eyes. And I just 
wish that Draco had that opportunity, even though if Lucius was still alive, Draco would be worse than ever. Yeah, if Lucius was still alive, um, Arthur Weasley would be dead. You know, I I think I, I it's kind of a it's kind of a, you I mean you kind of wish that for him, but at the same time you realize it's not really a possibility. And um, I think you know they he gets going, you know, and he's let his defenses down, and then he realizes what he's done. Mm-hmm. And he shuts down. And um, I I I I think it's kind of interesting to have somebody who was a member of the Death Eaters who, you know, even if you're a Death Eater, you can't trust your fellow Death Eaters, you know. He lets his guard down around somebody who was on the other side of the war. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I don't necessarily think it was very believable. But um, then again, I have a hard time with this whole section of this fic. But um, I I do like the conversations that, he, that they have here where, you know, he says, are you doing this to make Harry jealous? Are you doing this to make Potter jealous? And she's like, what? (laughs) You know, so all the things that Harry has been thinking, Draco is now verbalizing. And I think that, you know, that's kind of interesting. And Ginny still doesn't get it. Nope, nope, nope. She, she, She just, she's like, no, I'm not doing this for Harry. This has nothing to do with Harry. I just need to practice. And I'm like... No, Draco was on to something there. Pay attention to Harry, you nitwit. No. Yeah. I I think that she kind of, you know, at, at this point in uh, in her life, she's she's taking Harry a little bit too much for granted, you know. Mhm. And I I don't think that you can do that, and and necessarily get away with it, you know, or you shouldn't be able to. He's this big hero to save the world, and he wants to be with you, and I think that maybe you should be a little bit more, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, and the and the one the one thing is where you have to consider after the end as a whole, and they talk about this a little bit throughout, but this all takes place within one year, and in one mm-hmm. year, Harry's gone from completely shut off to slowly opening up to truly getting close and lovey-dovey with Ginny and is now messing that up. Not he's messing up, but the relationship's becoming messed up over this. Right. And, I mean, this has all happened at this point. We're in February, I think. Mm-hmm. So June to February and basically seven, eight months' time, this entire thing has happened in their relationship. And when you contextualize it, they've grown a lot. But at the same time... They haven't really grown at all, and they're nowhere close to being done with their their journey. Right. And that's all I have to say on that chapter. Me too. Okay. <laughs> all right, so, chapter 34, Breakthroughs. Okay. I'm going to let you kick us off, Mac. Absolutely. Didn't I kick off the last chapter? Yes, okay, I'll do this one, too. Um, Zuza Sabini. What a stupid name. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm glad you said it because I was sitting there going, that's, that's too many consonants together. I can't pronounce that. But 
Okay, <laughs> um, hey, with the kitchen yeah. blaze, I guess you can play around with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that's not important. I just wanted to comment on that. First thing that really struck me about the start of this chapter was, yet again, another article about the permanent Azkaban patrol and Ron's reaction to it, which... Yeah. Uh, this is a, this is again where the media says one thing and our characters are like, you have completely misconstrued the truth here. And, you know, Ron has the lines, if you weren't such a waste of life, you'd remember there wasn't uh, a PAP when the first Dementor escaped. And they haven't had a problem in months. And, you know, this is one of those, Molly would read this and Molly might believe it because she has a tendency to believe everything she reads in the media. Although mm-hmm. we had a in a while, but I won't drag that back up. But I like the fact that I really hope that the rest of the Wizarding World is smart enough to have Ron's reaction and not read an article like this and just say, wow, you know, Minister Weasley is really screwing up and can't believe stuff like this is happening out there at Azkaban. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just... I think one of the, the... the themes in Goblet of Fire, which this is the post-Goblet of Fire fic, is irresponsible journalism. You know, uh, Rita Cedar is a huge deal in Goblet of Fire. She's, I mean, mm-hmm. and probably brought on in part by J.K. Rowling's own experiences with the media. And point being that at this point, you know, right now in this moment where we're living, you know, Let's let's ignore Harry Potter for a moment. You know, we have this problem right now in our own world. You know, people are just going to write. They're going to twist the facts to however they want to twist them. They're going to make you look however they want to make you, you know, and they don't necessarily care if it's the truth or not because they want to sell papers. And I think, you know, they kind of just, Airbnb, once in a while, they kind of just bring that back up, you know. And I think it's a good point that you can trust anything you read and you should be responsible for knowing what's going on in the world by yourself without having to rely on, you know, the opinion page of the New York Times or the Daily Prophet, you know? Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that Arabella and Genya are trying to make a political statement in their portrayal of media in After the End? Um, you know, here's the thing. Um... When I get asked a lot um, similar questions about how I write, um, for instance, and I don't like to talk necessarily that I write because we aren't talking about the things that I write, but I'm going to use this to make a point. Okay. Um, in my Marauder's Fic, um, obviously one of the central conflicts is pure blood versus muggles and um, or muggle-borns. And... Um, in one of the chapters, Sirius and his brother were having a discussion about, you know, how muggle-born should be treated. And um, a lot of people sent me emails asking me if I was drawing a parallel between that particular conflict and the situation of either African-Americans in the United States today or homosexuals in the United States today. And honestly, no. (laughs) You know, I'm just... You know, this is a problem in the wizarding world. You know, the characters have to deal with it, so I'm not going to ignore it. I think when you try to look too deeply into 
you know, it's fan fiction. It's not, you can use it to make a point, but I, I seriously doubt they were going. And in this chapter, let's make sure to remind everybody that, you know, the media is awful and nobody should like them. You know, I don't think that was a thought process. It might be subconscious, but I don't think it was a conscious choice. No. Oh, and the other thing I would bring up is that a lot of these issues of racism and media and politics and all of these other things that you would write about on a college essay are ideas that are brought up actually in the in the canon in the Harry Potter series um, as as parallels. Not that J.K.R. means to talk on them. It's just mm-hmm. those are things that we have in in the Muggle world. And she's saying these are kind of like the parallels that the wizarding world is dealing with. So when we as fanfic readers and authors, in your case, are writing, using the issues that J.K.R. brings up because the idea of pure blood versus muggles and the way that the media operates, these are all things that J.K.R. addresses in her books. Mm -hmm. So when we take those ideas and put them in our own fanfics, we're not doing it to make a statement per se, we're just mirroring the Harry Potter series, right. which is a mirror of real life. Um, and, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people do very detailed and very academic-based articles analyzing Harry Potter, which I don't disagree with, but a lot of times I think people will read in what they want to read, uh, especially right. regarding fan fiction. Right. You know, and you know, I think a lot of people try to discern, um, especially when you get into the big name fans, um, like Arabella and Zenya, and um, maybe Barb, um, who wrote the the Psychic Serpent trilogy, and Lori, Lori, who wrote the Paragram of Uncertainty. I mean, all these people who are quote unquote big name fans. You know, people try to discern where they stand politically, so that they can be, you, you know, so they can rip apart their fixers, support their fix. And I I think it's bizarre to try to use fan fiction to try and determine the political orientation of somebody. Because, you know, I, I can feel very much one way about something and write something that's that's very much the other way. And I, I don't know. I just think it's it's interesting that you asked me that question. I'm glad I'm glad you did, but it, it's it's an interesting point, you know how much of the um, main themes in here are conscious and how much are unconscious. Which I just want to say two more things. And one is that, you know, people can read into it what they want to read into it. And at the same time, authors can write what they want to write because you could very easily write a fanfic where the Weasley family realizes, oh, wow, we're a pure-blood family and we're acting like rubbish. We should totally sever our ties to Muggleborns and join the ranks of Draco because that's the right and proper way to live your life. And that might be making somewhat of a statement. Um, So I think authors can do that. I just think they tend not to. And the other thing I will say, it's probably a good thing that our own host, Ryan, isn't writing fanfic because it'd probably be very easy to tell what side of politics he takes in reading it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, Ryan, that that, that was a jab at you at your expense and you're not here to defend yourself. Um, Too bad. <laughs> I think I think if you're listening to the podcast and need to know Ryan politically, you're kind of yeah. Anyway, okay. It's interesting that too that Sirius shows up and says, 
you know, why didn't nobody tell me about this? And Ron goes, because it wasn't that big a deal, you know. And to serious, everything is a big a deal when it comes to Azkaban. You know? Absolutely. I think he's very much, you know, we talk all the time about Sirius being emotionally stunted, and he's very much, you know how, like, a three- or a four-year-old will latch onto something and kind of become obsessed with figuring out how it works? And I think Sirius kind of gets in that in that mindset where he kind of just zones in on Azkaban and he forgets other things that he should be worried about, like uh, his relationship with Harry, <laughs> you know? Well, let, let's give Sirius a little more credit than that. I mean, let's say four or five-year-old at least. Okay, four or five-year-old. <laughs> All right, so that was actually kind of backing uh, up a little bit. I, I completely agree with you. Um, although the one thing that we, we skipped over that's incredibly important is the note Ron finds in Zabini's file sent from Zabini to Malfoy about Draco. Yes. Do you remember that note? Um, yes. Yeah, my son knows what to do in four years if things are in place. Uh, I believe you still mean for him to arrange for our entry, which is basically, even though it's very vague, Ron knows exactly right away that this is referring to Draco letting in the Death Eaters on June 30th during the Leaving Feast and starting the final battle. And this is hard proof. Well, not hard proof, but it's, 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 it's proof, more proof than he's ever had that something, that Malfoy, Draco has done something truly wrong, not just been a git, not just been a snot-nosed punk, but I mean, right. really done something to cause harm and death to so many and then Sirius comes in, and he's like, there's a Dementor escape. And Ron's like, I-, I have something really good on Malfoy. And he's like, how come nobody told me about the Dementor? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, well, I, love this, I love this dynamic where they're both, both of them have their four- or five-year-old obsessions, Ron with Draco, Sirius with, Mal- with uh, Dementors, and they're both talking to brick walls. <laughs> You know, this is, again, one of the themes in um, the fic that Ryan likes to talk about. Shout out to Ryan Woohoo! Is that, you know, everybody is talking, but nobody is listening. Yes. And this happens a lot in this fic, is that everybody talks, but nobody listens. And um, Yeah. So, um, hello? Hi, Jen. Are you back? I'm back. I'm sorry. My mom came over. There was nothing I could do. Well, that's okay. We only got through half the discussion without you. But, hey, at least we stayed on track. No, we that's did. really good. That is good. Yay. Jen, where are we? So we're, um, we're discussing uh, Ron and Sirius um, are talking about the problem at Azkaban where one of the Dementors escaped from Harry. We've talked about Jenny and Draco's discussion at the pub. We covered all that. Without you here, you're going to be very upset when you listen to it. And um, what else? Yeah, and so now... That's it. Huh? And that's it. Yeah. All right. Um... Why don't you, what do you, what do you want to talk about next, Mac? Um, 
Uh, Hermione. Da, 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 da. Let me let me scroll down. Uh, the next thing I have on here is Hermione and Fleur and Penny having to go to um, the, the 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 place. The lighthouse. What's the Weas- the, the what's 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 the Weasley's place called? Oh, the Weasley's place, the Burrow. The Burrow. <laughs> I completely just forgot. Oh, um, well, like, okay, well, they have to go to the the Burrow, and the only thing in there that I I I think we're talking about is Fleur and Bill both continuing to be idiots, and then. The reason that's important is because it transitions into Hermione breaking down after they get the shield up and having to go have a good cry. Yeah. But, I mean, that that section, I don't have a whole lot to say on there. If you two do, take it away. You know, we, we both, we both, we talked earlier about how um, Sirius and Ron are both have this um, obsession with one thing. Ron, it's Malfoy, and Sirius, it's Azkaban. And after um, Hermione, I think she leaves. Is she leaving? Yes. She is leaving. Okay. She leaves. And then after they leave, they have this big, like, discussion on Malfoy. And... It, it's interesting because Ron's basically like, got you, you, you know what, you know? <laughs> and Sirius is kind of like, oh, whatever, you know? <laughs> so Hermione, Fleur, and um, Penny, and Bill. Shoot. Right. Go. Okay. So um, Hermione and um, Penny and Fleur are headed to the burrow to test out the imprisonment charm for the first time. And um, they, they're they um, going to use, I thought, this is so funny, I thought this is, they're going to use a blast-ended screw-it to, to test the imprisonment charm on. Did anybody else appreciate that shout-out to Goblet of Fire? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. They use yeah. that animal. I did like it. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you know, okay. even though those things have been described, I've always had trouble picturing them in my head because to me, they always just kind of look like giant roly polies with scorpion tails. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, that's how I always picture them. Like, 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 like giant, like a roly poly, but like the size of a trailer. With a giant <laughs> scorpion tail, and that—that's how I always pictured it. Wow. And I know that's not what they're supposed to look like. Like they describe them differently, but that's just whenever I hear blast-ended screw, I'm just like, oh yeah, roly-poly with a stinger that's six feet tall and could eat me, roll over me, and then roll into a little ball when I poke it. <laughs> that's interesting, at the very least. I, you know, I've never been able to get a clear picture of them in my head. Can you say Actually, that again and cut out? Sorry, cut out. I've never been able to get a clear picture of blasted screws in my head either. I don't know why. I, I just they're not thought and see them. I don't know. Yeah, isn't it interesting that we all three don't even really care? 
can 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 we request that someone who does fan art, one of our artists out there, draw us a picture of what a blast ended screw looks like? Yes. Send that to us. Yeah, let's do a fan art challenge. Yeah, we haven't had one of those for a while. I think it's just a fascinating name, Blast Ended Scroot. I think it's hysterical. Yeah. Yes. Um. Okay. So then. Uh, and Fleur is such a girl about them too. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> she she acts around them, which I understand. That's it's a gigantic bug with a stinger and a fire end and all that, but she acts like such a girl around those. You know, she shrieks and she's like, "Get away, get away!" Like Jen in a tarantula. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. To be fair. To be fair, nobody would want a tarantula in their house. That's just wrong. Tarantulas belong in rainforests. (laughs) Well, I just love personally how they're having this interaction, and you know Hermione's there, but Bill is breaking, you know, their their things, and Fleur is just. Her hands are on her hip, and she's pissed off, even though she's glad to be working. You know, she's just frustrating, frustrated that Bill keeps breaking all their little spells. And I just love that, you know, she puts her hair in a ponytail, and she's all serious after that. I just thought little things like that just make it. That's such a girl in charge thing to do. I don't know, put her hair, pulling her hair back and securing it. You know. She's not the pretty little girl now. She is getting dirty in the work. I like it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like how she curses. <laughs> yes. like, I was just like, you know, because that's just such an unladylike thing to do. She's just getting down to business, you know. So that's it's very nice. And once again, our Adam, one of Mac and I's favorite characters um, returns, Adam. Turns up. And here comes Adam. And he's bringing um, friends. Yay. He's bringing friends. Yay. He's not tragic <laughs> anymore. Yay. Okay. So. <laughs> he's finally growing up. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you uh, know, he's got to have a rough life, but. Ugh, that kid. Um, yeah, so, um, did anybody else think the developing relationship, um, between Fleur and Mrs. Weasley as opposed to the canon relationship between Fleur and Mrs. Weasley? (laughs) I thought that was kind of interesting, (laughs) like, because I was having a hard time separating half-blood prince Molly Weasley from after the end Molly Weasley. (laughs) I I mean, our after the end Fleur... Is the ponytail, fire in her belly, kind of take charge, smart girl, whereas the Fleur and Half Blood Prince is portrayed as a little more ditzy, and they call her Flem. Yeah. And <laughs> honestly, I like After the End Fleur much, much better. Well, yeah, yeah. obviously. Well, she some people that. might like, you know, Half Blood Prince Fleur better. I personally like how Fleur and Molly, like, Fleur is just amazed by Molly. And, I mean, obviously it fits her character so much better because, you know, her sister 
you know, has been one of the lost or kids and or dead. I don't remember if, if they know for sure yet at this point. Um, but I just love how in awe she is of Molly. She thinks Molly's awesome. And I love that Molly and Fleur are starting to have the relationship right from the beginning, and yet Penelope and Molly had to really work at it. Yeah. And it's kind of like Penelope and Molly had the relationship that Fleur and Molly have in canon. The really hard, you know, they really have to sit down and talk to each other and if that even, you know. I do like it. I do like it. Yeah, I I think it's... um, it's just it's it's interesting. I don't necessarily ever like any fan fan characterizations better than I like canon characterizations because I just think that you know um, the canon characterizations they're they're there for a reason. People act the way that they do to drive the story forward. But I um, if I was going to have a personal interaction with Fleur, I would probably I would probably prefer after the end Fleur. And yeah. Now, see, I wouldn't have that problem because being a male, my reaction would be the same with both of them, which would be, <laughs> girl. <laughs> did, did anybody else get a kick out of what Fleur's mother did? Yeah. She's a fashion model. She's <laughs> a fashion model. Like, <laughs> I just think it's funny because obviously we know that Fleur's mother is Avila. Half Avila. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I just attract people, so what would Avila do for a job? Obviously, a fashion model. <laughs> I don't know. I found that really amusing and yet unsurprising. <laughs> I don't know. I that. So all this discussion about mothers kind of is the cat is the catalyst to a breakdown that we've kind of uh, we've kind of been seeing since Cortona, you know, where Hermione kind of has to deal finally all the way deal with not what happened to her parents, but what her parents are now. Right. I think you know? Cortona, it was her admitting to herself that something happened, that right. they weren't fine and that, you know, she was there with a purpose, blah, blah, blah. And here she's finally, she's almost admitting defeat. She's almost saying, you know, and she's telling them, what did your mother do? She's a dentist. She was a dentist. And then she has to stop and go, wait a minute. I haven't actually, I never know what tense to use. I don't know if I should use past tense or, and it's like, it's like it hits her like a ton of bricks. Like she just, you know, she suddenly realizes that she's not dead, but she's not coming back. And she felt stupid because it sounds so, she even says it sounds so melodramatic. And yet, it is melodrama. I mean, it's horrible. And Fleur is so, I don't know. To me, I just love that they have these scenes between women. And I know that this is written by women and blah, blah, blah. But to me, reading this scene, it's it's like, it's exactly what I would have done. You know, it's exactly what a woman conversation would be yeah. like. You know, and she, you know, I'm sorry. And Hermione tries to, you know, get better and try to, you know, she tries to move on and, and it just gets in that really awkward silence, and you can't do anything. You can't talk about anything. And and Fleur, is, you know, she feels horrible, and she's like, God, I wish I hadn't brought that up. And Hermione just can't get – it's one of those things, I think, that 
you know that you're going to cry. And I don't know if boys have this. Honestly, I don't. But I know that there are times and I just know that I'm going to cry. I just know it. And it's coming and there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to be really upset. And it's either cause a scene or go away and, you know, and deal with it and get it out and get it over with. And I think Hermione here realizes that this has hit her. It's really hard. She's going to deal with it. And yet it's overwhelming at the same time. And she has to go away. And I think it's almost just a whole that she actually operates to her parents. Or, you know, she goes to the hospital and she runs. I mean, you know, they're the reason she's so upset. To me, I think I would have gone somewhere else. But she doesn't. She operates to them. What did y'all think about her going to them when she was upset? I It kind of reminds me of, like, when I found out that, you know, I have mono, I wasn't going to be well enough to work for three to six weeks, you know, I had all these, I, you know, you just kind of are kind of, like, overwhelmed with, like, and I'm not saying that, like, me having mono is on the same level as your parents being unconscious. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that as, like, as a, as a female in this age group, because Hermione and I are about it. We're within a year of each other, you know. You still need your parents, you know, for some things. Somebody has to... Somebody has to reassure you that it's not the end of the world. Everything is going to be all right, that you're strong enough to move on. And just being in the in the presence of your parents sometimes is very calming, you know. And I can I can understand why she went to them, you know. Yeah. I, I can see needing to reassure myself that, you know, they may not be conscious, but they're still here. And there's always a chance as long as they're still here. Well, I know that when I found out that I had cancer that it was all just kind of, I took it very well. I took it exceptionally well. I took, um, you know, I handled it, I don't know how normal cancer patients handle things, but I handled it, you know, just like, you know, you have the flu, (laughs) you know, oh, I'm sick, okay, what do I do? Give me the medicine, let's do this, blah, blah, blah. And I know that it didn't hit me until couple months into it, I guess, you know, when you start the treatments and blah, 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 and, you know, and then you just start feeling sad, <laughs> and yeah. I remember, what, well, I mean, you go through a, a period where you kind of just feel sorry for yourself, <laughs> and life yeah. is crap, and it only happens to me, and blah, 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 and you get, you know, into this depression, which never helps, and... I don't know. I can see Hermione working through this. I can see, like, she's going through all of the stages of grief, and it's hard, and, you know, <laughs> denial and anger and um, wanting to do something and moving on and finally accepting. And accepting is such the hard part because it's real. It's humbling, and it's awful, and it's real. And she has to... You know, she has to have the breakdown. You have to. You have when you accept that something bad has happened. There's out of your control, and there's nothing you can do. And you accept it, and it sucks. And you know, it to me, it was just very real. It was written very real. It's exactly what happens. Something serious out of your control happens. You know, and I don't know. I I really appreciated that it was written, and I really, really love. 
that of all the people that she runs into, it's Neville. <laughs> because to me, Neville defines the character of innocence and hope and all of those things that he's like, you know, the sunshine on the nighttime sky, you know. Just, and he doesn't offer her, he doesn't make it better and he doesn't lie to her and he doesn't give her false the hope, which is the worst thing I think people do when something bad happens and see you know, they oh it'll get better, blah blah who wants to hear that crap? No one. Um and he just holds her and he's like, Yeah, it sucks. I know. But it will get better. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I do know. I think, you know, and he takes her to meet her his parents and you know, it's just kind of it's interesting, you know, the, the state that they're in versus the state that Hermione's parents are in and how Neville is dealing with it, you know. Because well, we don't really... Neville has been... Sorry. Go. Oh, it's like, and you realize for the first time, even though we know that Neville has been dealing with this all this time, blah, 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 you realize for the first time that Neville has dealt with it and that he even talks about the time. Isn't, isn't this where he talks about where he went in and he tells about how he just went in there and cried one day and broke down yeah. and got mad at them and yelled at them and all those things, and he can move on afterwards. I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's written so beautifully and so true. I just wonder, I can't help but wonder what similar situations the author had gone through to be able to write it so true. I think that's what I'm so in admiration about, is not that this particular, you know, not that people are really in the hospital for <laughs> the curse and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, well, you, know you, might have, you might have known somebody in a coma, or, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, where... Right. This is very real. Mac, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's... It's very. It comes across as very real, and it makes for a very dramatic read through. Yeah. But then, and I, and I feel bad saying this, but I, I need to admit because I think the truth is more interesting. When they come to the part with Neville's parents, when you finally meet them, I couldn't help but just start laughing because it's such a break. Well, at, at, at both Neville's parents, the state they're in, and the ways in which he's dealing with it, because, one, you feel hopeful that Hermione will be able to get past what has happened to her parents and one day, you know, be happy. And you're, I mean, Neville is right here with his parents who are in a very traumatic state, and yet he's happy about that, and you feel happy that he can still experience joy with his parents, even though they don't even recognize him. And, uh, you know, just that little bit of joy stuck in there takes this very dramatic, very upsetting moment and punctuate it with something to give that ray of hope that the authors offer up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kind of helps you as the reader get a little bit of closure on the situation because, you know, you can say well, Hermione's going through this, and how will she deal with it? And then you see Neville going through what he's gone through and say, Neville's dealt with it, Hermione will deal with it. Right. And, yeah. But at the, 
At the same time, though, you're kind of going, well, Neville's had all his time to deal with it. Like, he'd had it at a young age. He grew up with it. It's a little bit different for Hermione. I mean, she got to meet her parents. She got to know them. And she got to, I don't know. They don't work. Here's the paragraph that gets me, though, is when after Neville leaves, Neville leaves, sorry, Neville, excuse me, after Neville leaves, um, she is talking to her mom, and she is saying, you know, the weirdest things about this bother me. There was, you know, there was a song that you used to sing, and I can't remember all the words, and what if... You know, I'm in a serious relationship now, and someday I'm going to have a baby, and what if I can't remember the words, and you have to be here, you know? And she gets angry with her. And I think that, you know, that was, that was like the hardest part for me, is because I can't, you know, I can't imagine Hermione is, you know, having to face that maybe someday she's going to have a baby and she's not going to have her mom. And I think that, you know, Jen, back me up here, but as like a woman in America, like we all kind of expect our moms to be a phone call away. If something goes wrong, you know, I'm going to be okay as a new mom because my mom is number five on my speed dial. <laughs> you know, well, and, and how are you, not just how do you the mother. face being, no, I totally back you up. I think, but I don't think it's just with children. I think. I don't know. I think moms and daughters have a special relationship, and I think that dads and father, you know, fathers and sons have a special relationship. And I, yeah, I mean, I think this is what I think this is so humbling and so emotionally hard to read because this is every child's worst fear is not having their parent anymore and not having that comfort and not knowing that someone else that's been through it that, that you know, loves you non-conditionally and helps you through. And it's even worse because her parents are there. She can see them. She can hold them. They, And it's worse because she can't say goodbye because they're not gone. They're there. And you almost go, gosh, I wish they would just either die or get better because that in-between, it's so wor- much worse. I mean, I don't know. And so so it's really hard for me to read it because you feel for her and and you know that because they're there, she's never going to be able to move move on with them being there. She's always going to feel guilty or it'll be her purpose and it will ruin her. It will drive her nuts. And yet at the same time, if she loses her, loses them, she's going to always feel guilty and she's going to, I mean, so many different outcomes could happen from either way. And it's just so hopeful. She's, Still so hopeful, and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. But I do agree. Inter- you know, I just want to interject right here that that line of thinking you just had is the same line of thinking that Harry had towards Neville <laughs> when he says, "You know, everybody pities me because I'm an orphan and I lost my parents at such a long young age." But nobody really thinks about Neville, who had to grow up knowing his parents and seeing his parents, but never really getting close to his parents or having them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's the one who really deserves sympathy because my parents are at least dead and gone. His parents, you know, are there, and he has to see them like that week in, week out. And that's the same and thing. I really like how they use that. I really like how they use that to show how how strong Neville is because I think a, off, more often than not, Neville comes across as, 
weak because he is so clumsy or he's so naive or so immature that that we forget that he's really strong. I mean, emotionally strong. And I love the adult that they create, that they characterize him as because he has. He's probably had it worse than anybody else. And Hermione is just now realizing it. And, and yet she's so torn up in grief that she can't even acknowledge really. I mean, we never, nobody ever takes the time and goes, wow, Neville, this really must have been hard and I admire you all the more. I think we learn about it and we, the reader, get that punch in the stomach. But I don't think any of the characters, well, maybe Harry realizes it, but nobody actually understands it. And I don't know. I think it would have been really neat to see one of the characters, like even Hermione or Ginny, you know, somebody later on after Hermione, you know, in the end, after you know what happens, blah, 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 that they actually go, you know, they can give something back. I don't know. It's it's very complicated. But but I do kind of wish that Hermione could have See, I don't know. I don't think it would have done Hermione justice to Hermione's pain had she stepped out and gone, Wow, Neville do you know what I mean? And acknowledge what he's gone through really. But at the same time if she did it would diminish her own pain and I don't th- I think right now she's finally hit that breaking point. Yeah. Yeah, well, well she, I mean, she would do it. Yeah. That, that breaking point is what's so important because right here when she breaks down, I mean, it talks about she just spends hours and hours crying to them and talking about these things that she won't have and giving up on her, on her family. And then just as she's falling asleep, she says, you know, you guys need to cry like I need to cry. Wouldn't it just yes. be so much better if you guys could cry, you would get some kind of release? Light bulb. Yeah. I love how that and, works with her. And I, I think what's what really struck me is, and this is why I have to question, is the words that she thinks of just as she's falling asleep are Gilia's words about tears being a gift and unblocking, cleansing, and creating space. And I almost wonder if Delia knew the solution a while ago and only gave Hermione that advice about tears so that she could figure it out for herself because she needed to be the one who did this for her parents. I just really love that line. I love the line that they wrote. Tears are a gift. Tears unblock. They cleanse and create space. Dry your eyes, child, and sit up again when you're ready. I mean, to me, though, that is like something I would put and put on my wall and like acknowledge every day because it's true. I mean... I'm one of those people, I can cry about anything. I can cry when I'm happy and cry when I'm excited and cry when I'm in grief or I'm sad. I, and it's true. But I, and I, I really like the message that it, that it gives, that it says you do have to take a few moments every once in a while and give yourself time to acknowledge what has happened to you and to deal with it and 
and so that you can get better and move on. And I really like, I just love it. I think it's such a great metaphor for even more things and not just tears. I don't know. I just think it's fabulous writing. That, that it is good writing. Sentence. I love that sentence. It is good writing. You know, it's it's a little bit hallmarky, but it <laughs> you know, it, there's Hallmark. a reason. I cry at <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? I said I cry at Hallmark commercials. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I you know, it's a good it's a good piece of advice that we don't Sometimes we don't allow emotions to run their course and we need to. So I think that that's um, very – it's a good statement to make. And I like that she sits up and she's like, well, I've done that. You know, now I'm now I'm going to go get to work, you know. So <laughs> she's ready to move on. She's ready to move on. And I think it's very typical of women. Like we get something done. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. Like, my mother is incapable of knowing how to relax. Like, I make fun of, like, she can't just sit and watch TV. It's not like this at all. She just can't sit and watch TV. She has to be cutting out coupons coupons and watching TV or balancing the textbook and watching TV. Or the same way. You know, I mean, they just, we constantly feel as, I think Hermione, too, is like, hey, now I, there's no time to rest. I just have to, you know, she doesn't let that emotional break down, sink in for a little bit. She just kind of moves on to the next thing, which is kind of interesting. Oh, well, hold on. I got I got to completely disagree on that point and that she probably would have let that sink in, but this is a clear epiphany moment. This is a aha moment. And the only reason she didn't stop and spend the night in the hostel was because as soon as that thought hit her, she had to go to work. And it wasn't because she didn't give herself time to get that emotion and set because the idea she just had was so powerful and so important that it was it was more important to work on what she just thought about than to deal with what she was dealing with emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt, are, are boys... I know that I've always a- I ask guys all the time like this because I you know James and I don't really ever talk about things like this because in his book I'm the emotional woman and he's the comforting man and we kind of work that way and but so I I don't really know to me I think it's very typical of of women to get overwhelmed break down get it over with and move on and be all the better for it. I mean, or and but then you look at Harry, and you keep going. Well, how does Harry deal with that? Well, he's moody. You know, he goes and like races around on his Quidditch broom and sulks, and he distances himself. But you know, but all you all needs to do is have a good cry, and he doesn't. And so I'm just wondering if guys how. I don't know what they do to deal with things. I mean, do they honestly just, like, go, oh, shrug it off? I mean, because women can't seem to do that very well. Um, from my own perspective, I think the the example you just brought about Harry going off on the Quidditch pitch and just working himself, they guys are less likely to cry, but it's a different form because crying is how you release 
the the gravity of the situation and the emotion that's bottled up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's literally like an outpouring of your soul to help calm you down and to bring relief. Where guys, it's much more of a physical process. Where Harry literally works himself until he's physically exhausted and gets very worked up and very passionate about riding his broom until he feels better. And probably a lot of guys I know don't ride their brooms. In fact, I don't know any guys who ride their brooms. (laughs) But I do know guys who would go out and, you know, pass around uh, a ball or play some kind of sport until they were just absolutely rugged. Um, Or go out and work on a project like building a deck on your house or adding an extra room, something very physical as a means of getting out that exertion. And it's it's how a guy, I would say, would outpour in the same way that a girl would outpour through tears. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I always forget that boys tend to be more physical with their aggression. If that makes, if that makes sense. Emotion. Like, I know my brother, every time he gets upset about something... He he either goes for a drive in his pickup truck and drives too fast, or he goes for a run, or he you know goes some he goes and finds somebody to play football with. I mean, there's you know he has to go do something physical until he's okay again. Yeah, so. and even the driving the car is physical because when you drive too fast and you're a little bit dangerous, you get your panic, your fight, your fight or flight levels up, and you get mm-hmm. that adrenaline pumping. And it's not as physical as playing football, but in a lot of ways, it's still getting... I think when I'm angry and frustrated and I'm about to cry, like, I will find that I am a much more physical cleaner. Um, I, <laughs> and I clean, but I'll clean, but I'll also, like, throw around things or, um, you know, clean with much more vigor than I normally would. And... I used to get more stuff done, but I but again, it's a physical. It's not only a, and then usually the physical thing leads to tears. It just makes me cry, but um, it makes me upset. It makes the it makes it real. I don't know. Doesn't yeah, Molly Weasley do the? Doesn't Molly Weasley do the same thing earlier and after the end when she's throwing around the frying pan and cleaning and really frustrated early on? Well, Mac, I mean, didn't you grow up with lots of sisters? Yes, four sisters, no brothers. Let the podcast world please know that I suffered. (laughs) (laughs) I've only had my sister and my mom, and my dad was always at work. Like, I don't remember my dad ever being around when I was a kid. I mean, I remember him being home at night, but there wasn't really a relationship until I went to college, which is, you know, fine, but I grew up in a woman house, and... So, obviously, I don't have a clue about how men deal with things because you don't learn things from your father. And I married probably the most passive-aggressive person known to man. Um, you know, and he doesn't get angry or upset. I'm, he doesn't. And it's amazing because I'm extremely temperamental. But I just wonder, Mac, if if you notice more of the differences because you grew up with so many women. Yes. If it was more... <laughs> So maybe you deal with things a lot better than most men, and and take it with well. Pride. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't say I deal with things better 
because people close to me will tell you that I'm like Ron, where I will get very heated up over something. Um, you know, somehow I grew up in a, in a, a girl household, if you want to call it that. But <laughs> I still have a very typical male reaction, but I do think I have a better understanding because of that, which is why I'm so suave with the ladies. <laughs> well, it's probably it's probably why you're such a good flirt, at the very least. I mean, um, growing up in in a in a girl household, I have a better understanding of what they're dealing with and how. And I'm going to bring this all the way back to what we were talking about initially: why Hermione is dealing with this differently, and then you know maybe Harry would in this situation or Ron would. Um, But, I mean, I think you're right. I think that Hermione's reaction to her parents, especially after the cry, is I've cried and I've got that out and I needed to have that cry in order to get this next thing done. And Mm -hmm. I don't think she could have had the epiphany that she had hadn't she had that good cry. Yeah. And not just the idea of what tears can do, but simply just the fact because it still would have all been bottled up inside of her and she wouldn't have been able to concentrate. Right. So, good for Hermione. Good for Hermione. It's about time. And yet, it's still sad. It's still really tragically sad. Okay. Moving on. I just want to make one more point. One more point. Okay. You know how um, Jen and I were having a conversation about one other fic and... (laughs) <laughs> she kind of gets frustrated with me because I'm always like, well, this doesn't hit me emotionally like the way it's supposed to. And um, <laughs> and this one, this moment hit me the way it was supposed to. It, it was that well written that I didn't have that many quibbles with it. You know, I just, I could sit back and enjoy it. And I think that, you know, kudos to Arabella and Zenya because that's quite a feat. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, before we move on. I do want to say that one of my favorite, like, people have talked about their favorite lines in the fic. And my, one of my top three favorite lines in this fic is when Neville, you know, is talking to Hermione and he says, they don't know who I am, but lately I've been hearing lovely stories about how developmentally challenged I was as a baby. I, I, I love Neville. I understand why people love Neville. Oh, I am with Jules on Neville in this story. No, well, and I love Neville too. And but to me, Neville is like the little the underdog, and I just always want to be like, "Oh, Neville, go!" And you know, he's not somebody. I'm just like, Neville, you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> It, to me, it would be like I would be the senior and Neville would be the freshman and I would just take him under my wing. I would have that mentality yeah. towards Neville. So yeah. wait a minute, Jen. You're not trying to picture Neville in a towel then? <laughs> you know, I've never, ever thought of Neville as as one of, the, one of those guys. But, you know, at the same time, my husband isn't one of – my husband, to me, is more like Neville and Ron – and you know, I chose one of those guys. Do, do you know what I mean? Like those guys yeah. aren't the girl, the guys that girls, you know, when they're younger, go, oh my gosh, blah blah. You know, it's the guy who is the one, the sweet one, your friend, 
that's the guy you want to be with. I mean, yeah. in the end. It is, you know. It is. Oh, and you're totally. happier for it. Huh? Oh, totally. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, no, at the end I'm of the day, you have to be... Girl. Yeah, at the end of the day, you have to be with somebody you're comfortable with, you know? Exactly. And so. speaking of being comfortable with each other, what is up with Harry and Ginny lately? <laughs> Good segue. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go there, I'm sorry, I do want to go there, but before we go there, can I just say how much I love the first paragraph of of this of this next segment of Harry. Can I just I just want to read it really quick so everyone knows what I'm talking about. It goes, Harry lay on his back on the sofa with a pile of jelly slugs on his stomach. He tossed another one into the air, caught it in his mouth, and washed it down with butterbeer. It was hard to drink the butterbeer while lying on his back, but Harry managed not to choke. He should have been cleaning the notch. It was a revolting mess. When he had lived with the Dursleys, Harry had always been extremely clean and out of respect for Remus and Sirius, who had been keeping his things tight at Lupin Lodge, but now he had a space of his own, and he could do what he liked. It gave him sort of a rush to leave his things lying around. To me... <laughs> It just makes me laugh, like, that they went into such description showing how Harry was being a slob and proud of it. <laughs> I kid you not, the authors spied on me in order to write that. <laughs> I, After a long day's work, I kid you not, I have sat on my couch with jelly, with uh, jelly worms, not jelly worms, gummy worms, IBC root beer, <laughs> and I I have literally had like the package sitting on my stomach. I read the first time I read this, I just went, "Oh my god, I've done that." <laughs> I've been that so person who just come in, throwing the jacket on the on the ground, kick the shoes off, don't care where they land, flip on the TV, have some gummy worms and a root beer, and just sit back and relax and don't care about anything. I've been there. I feel for Harry. Harry's my boy. Well, he's like, can I just say that I have, that I've got this picture of jelly slugs, and I know it's from watching Goblet of Fire and, like, those snap thingies that are in Dumbledore's office that, you know, come alive and, like, bite the hell out of you, and it scares the crap out of me. Like, I'd be like, how do people digest those? Um, But anyway, like, I'm imagining, like, him sitting with his shirt on. Like, I don't actually know if it talks to the shirt or not. I'm hoping it's off. But... No. Because like, remember his shirt's multicolored? Is he wearing a shirt? Yeah, later when he when he gets up and Ginny's like, What is on your shirt? Because his shirt is covered with colors. Okay, well anyway, I guess so. Attention to detail. Attention to detail. Come hey, on. Good. Yes, yes, yes. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but anyway, so he's on the he's got like these like imagining like these slugs like sl- like squirming all over his belly. Like, I'm sure they move. And, like, he tosses one. This is what just grosses me out. But, like, he flings a jelly slug at the wall and watches it slide down to the carpet. Seriously, how gross can you be? Like, I remember going into James's dorm room because we lived in the same dorm. And they thought it was so funny to get that string cheese, you know, the kind that you can squeeze the top and it squeezes out. <laughs> and they would squirt it on their blinds. <laughs> for months, for months, and it would like get hard and nasty, and like they thought it was hysterical, and they would do it, and it was a game, and like it made me think of them and that stupid cheese, and I'm just like, how can people be so revolting? 
<laughs> and it's such a boy thing, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. You, you say revolting. I say, man, that is the sweet life. Because I'd like to point out, <laughs> I'm having this conversation in my dorm room right now. I have a can of cheese in my trash can because I just polished it off. <laughs> no way. Yes. Oh, sitting, you did sitting on right next, right? Sitting right next to a half gallon of ice cream, which I ate right from the tub because I don't have any clean dishes. <laughs> Why can't I have good metabolism? What? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like I the life. I want to switch lives. Jeez. You know what I had for dinner tonight, <laughs> Jen? I had a whole package of know. butter popcorn and half a carton of um, Ben & Jerry's Americone Dream. Yeah. <laughs> That's my well, steady I power meal. College. I miss college. I miss college. I miss college. And yet so I don't back, at all. Back to the at No, when you back become a wife, thing. you have to do the cooking thing. Or the ordering out thing, as I'm good at. But, yeah. Anyway. Okay, back to now, the Back to back to the story. So, Jenny. Okay, next. Start with Jenny. Uh, what is up with Harry and Jenny? I, oh. I don't know. <laughs> he, uh. You know what's funny is she shows up, and they just had this big to-do over whether or not she's going to, you know, you're going out with Malfoy. Well, I guess that's okay, whatever. And um, <laughs> she shows up at his um, apartment and or house, sorry, so he's to college. Oh, okay, shows up at his house, and, you know, he turns on some music. And <laughs> like, steady. I think I thought it strange that she would just randomly go over there to study. But then again, my sister and I never lived in the same place like that, you know, down the street from each other to do things like that. So to me, that's unnatural. Well, don't forget the reason that Ginny came over there, and that's because Hermione went back to her room and had to think. Yeah, well, yes. But Um, I just think it's funny that she goes to Harry. Not necessarily. I go over to my twin sisters to study all the time, and she comes over here. Well, you know. I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm just saying, to me, I couldn't... It was a little weird to me because I haven't ever experienced that. But that's... that's, I still like it. I like it. Yeah. But anyway, so... Here's the thing that really bothered me. And this is... Somehow... A and Z got in a guy's mindset when they wrote this from Harry's perspective because you talk about, oh, well, it's two girls writing it, so, of course, they did a really good job catching it. They did a really good job of getting what a guy would be thinking in this situation, which is, you know, Ginny talks about, you know, oh, if it's okay, you need me to go. And Harry's first thought is, why does she keep talking about leaving? Does she want to leave? Is she trying to tell me that she doesn't want to be here? That's what a guy would think. A guy would think, I'm getting all these mixed signals. She came over here to study, but then all she does is talk about leaving. Um, and, then the, <laughs> and then the absolute worst one, and most guys would not handle this as well as Harry did, um, which I feel bad for Harry because uh, this, it got a little um, 
adult-oriented, when they started kissing, she puts his ha- her hand on his chest, and he mirrors the action, which I was just like, oh, all right, Harry's going for second base. Good for him. <laughs> and, you know, I like to see Harry play ball with Ginny. It's about time he got in the game. Yeah, exactly. But but and then and then and then this is this is where they're back in the in the guy's mindset. And you know, they've just had this fight and then she kisses him. Let me point this out. I'm adamant to point this out. Ginny kisses Harry. Ginny initiates this whole physical thing. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they really start getting into it, she pulls away and she says, Stop, we can't do this. We have to talk. And Harry, and Harry says, no, no, we don't have to talk, you know, this is good. And he, and he's like, do I take my hands off her? Do like, do we seriously need to talk? Because honestly, that's such, he's getting such mixed signals here. And I feel so bad for him because she comes over, but she wants to talk about leaving. She starts kissing him. And as soon as he starts kissing back, she says, we need to talk. And he's like, well, I didn't think we need to talk at this Kissing seems to be working. Let's let's do that some more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and that's yeah. what a guy would do. You know, a guy thinks, well, if she's kissing me. Things must be okay. Apparently, we don't need to talk. Well, yeah. So. I think, but also, I think that it was not just. I I think she's using that kind of as an excuse because, well, I don't know when when she touched his chest and he mirrored her action. And he he goes, he wasn't sure what he was thinking. It felt good. She felt good. And he silently begged her not to stop him now, not to tell her, you know, not to tell him that she couldn't stand it, not to cry out, blah, 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 blah. And I think she felt it. I think it was a little overwhelming. And although she wanted it, it was still a little too much. And she had to stop it. And so she stopped it with talking about anything else. And it just happened to be this other thing. Yeah, I mean, that could be it. But, you know, also when you're about that age where you're starting to, um, you know, just I thought it was bold. figure out, you know, I, well, you know, I just wanted to, you know, when you're starting to make out and, you know, the boys all did there. I mean, we don't see that. We don't, obviously, we don't know how how much experience Harry and, and Ron have. But, you know, the boys tend to try and, get that in early and sometimes the girls wait a little bit and so we don't really know you know you kind of have a stop and go you know feeling the first couple of times that you like how comfortable am I with this and how do I feel about him doing that you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. no I know maybe that was saying. it I think this is one of the hugest differences in boys and girls and I think that he the boys and girls, dear gosh, I sound like a teacher, between men and women. And um, I think, I don't know, I mean, I think Mac is exactly right. They do get in the mentality of a boy and of a man here. And, you know, and he, you know, it's, you, you know, it, and it's at first initiating, you know, the first things. It's not usually, and I mean, I'm yes, there are exceptions, of course there are. But usually it's the girl that has to stop things when they're not ready, when they're first initiating things. You know, I think, well, that could lead to a whole new conversation, but 
it's written yeah. very real. Again, it's written very real. This yeah. Scene in this paragraph, I really like it. And I like well, the one that, that stops it. Because I think in real life, it would have been her. It would have been the girl. I, yeah. I, I agree. And I think we should move on. But, you know, just before we do that, I just want to say, who was it who gave Adam the apple? That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I women, women, nah. Women, right? Men. God, hey, girls have to do everything. Harry didn't start that. All Harry wanted to do was take a shower and get clean. <laughs> I, I love that sentence. He's like, all he wanted to do was get clean and have her stay. And, <laughs> and I just love that. I just love that they showed the, the thoughts. Because honestly, if I were him, that is what I would be concerned about, my shirt. You know, and moving past the shirt. And it would bug me to no end. And it would be in the back of my head the entire time. I don't know. I remember when I remember when James and I started dating and like I remember like he had never I think he kissed one girl before me, but I dated I had had numerous relationships and things and so it was it wasn't new to me. And I remember um and I was still the one that had to stop things. And you know, and so it doesn't matter. It you know, I just love how they I love this scene. I love how true it is and how honest and simple and it's just another yeah. reason why I think this fic is so amazing. Yeah, they do. It was very they do awkward, but they remember. Yeah. They remember what it's like. Yeah, you know, you read it and you, it takes you back, and you go, "Oh my gosh, that is my thought. That is exactly it." And I, I, I would never be able to put it into words. Yeah. You but know, anyway, I, I think so, it's interesting how she captures my. They capture my age so so well at some point, you know. It's just, it's, it's, you think it's your age? What are you, 19? Huh? You're you're 19? I'm 19, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's young. I, to huh? me, though, it's a little younger. To me, yeah. it's more like 16. Like they're, but, but then again, because of the war, they are emotionally behind. And I do see right. this as both of their first... Re- I mean, I'm sure Jenny had a kiss or two from a boy... But it was more like the la 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 through the daisies. It wasn't a real relationship, and it definitely wasn't someone that she was in love with. And I think right. I just love that they're both. It's like they're both learning together, and I do like that. I do appreciate that. Well, I guess you know, I guess some people will say that they fell they fell in love in high school, and I did it in high school, and I I thought I was in love. But you know, I think now that I'm older, I kind of I kind of rethink my position on that, you know, and. I, I don't know. I think, you know, Harry and, and Jenny, and I, this is kind of reminds me of my first dating relationship, you know, where you make all the mistakes and you have all the awkwardness and the, yeah, so. I miss, I miss, I miss the getting excited when, you know, someone would graze my hand or something. You know, you miss, you get comfortable <laughs> in a relationship and you miss it. And you, you know, it's not like that anymore. But I remember in high school, I was in love with the idea of being in love. I remember thinking that being in love would be the greatest thing and it would just be fantastic and movie and blah, blah, blah. Music would cue and it would be this big, huge thing. And I remember being just so 
rejected that it never happened, that it was never like that, and that it was always heartbreaking. And I would get in these dramatic relations. I mean, seriously, dramatic crap, like stupid. And like, <laughs> you know, and you don't realize what love is until you find it. And then it's kind of like it's never what you think it is. It's just kind of, it's just there. Like, like, like you would feel about a family member. It's just something that you know. It's something you acknowledge. And, and to me, that was never what love was. And I love reading it, a re- reading about the romance of love in this story because it is in a way so fictional. And yet in the same time, at the same time, it's so true with how relationships with those you love start. Yeah, if that makes any sense at all from the old lady. Okay. <laughs> I just want to yeah. take a quick pause right here and say, Ryan, if you're editing this, I'm sorry. I couldn't stop them, and I just gave <laughs> up and let them go. <laughs> I didn't I'm know actually... how to get them to quit. <laughs> okay, I'm so we sorry. Will, we'll move on. I'm sorry, Meg. Well, you know, that's well, I mean, you must feel that have similar feelings. Oh, well, have you know, have similar relationships. Hey, uh, I had a high school sweetheart of two years that I followed to school, only to be broken up with on the first date or the first day of school. Um, and I've had dramatic relationships that were so dramatic that I don't even <laughs> talk to the girls anymore. I've been on mm-hmm. both ends of the spectrum. I could talk to your ear off for hours and hours. However, after several well, several is an understatement. After many hundreds of intense psychotherapy sessions, I've gotten past that and made peace. <laughs> I probably need. And I'm being completely sarcastic here, but let me just say that guess what? My love life is a closed book. It'll stay a closed book, especially as long as this podcast goes on, because Lisa's not coming over until it's done. So, <laughs> whenever we want to get on with the fight. Oh, I understand. <laughs> now I see. There's a point to him hurrying us on. There is. Hey, hey. I see. We've been, no, I, we've been having this discussion for three and a half hours. No, it is good. We do need to end it. We need to get going. Right. You, it's a very good point. I need to go and watch Battlestar Galactica with my husband. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, uh. Um, Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, they get into a slight argument, sort of, and Jenny basically gives Harry an ultimatum. You know, I yeah. just love how that he's so jealous of Malfoy, and yet he's not. And yet he yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. You know, he just... And then she leaves. Yeah. She leaves. She's just like... You know, you know, I just, ah, this again, the empathy thing. Like, you know, you would think with the six brothers, she would understand how guys think a little bit. But, like, I have one brother, and I can I can just see, you know, like, yeah, Jenny, you just, you're not going to get him to talk. You know, guys just, when you guys want to talk, come to you. You know, you cannot right. cry, really, you exactly. cannot cry emotions out of men. You just can't do it. And right. I know. It's so frustrating. James, what's wrong? Nothing. Okay. You know, three (laughs) days go by. I've been kind of bummed lately. Oh, really? (laughs) But, um, (laughs) yeah. Sorry about you. Um, (laughs) 
No, but I just, I love how um, she's like, she goes, and she's not mad that she's leaving, and and he goes, are you going? And he goes, Harry wished she wouldn't. He wished there didn't have to be a talk. Everything had been perfect for a few minutes. That's a guy thing to say. I mean, seriously, Harry, think with your head, why don't you? I mean, <laughs> he was, just not the right one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it wasn't me. and Ron is going to be so mad at me. We have an R-rated podcast because of Mac. <laughs> no, I'm going to You're going to be sorry you said that one. <laughs> no, I'm so half joking. Um, <laughs> he just saved my night. Why wouldn't Harry want it to last? He just got to second base, sort of. Well, I know, Early. and yet at the same time, when I read it, I don't think that I ever saw him touching her boob. I think I just saw her, him like putting her his hand over her heart or something. I don't know to me because I couldn't imagine Harry. Well, that's definitely the booby airy area. Yeah. Well, no, but considering the way that she gasped and went, uh, uh, Harry, you know, it definitely caught me as no. He got a handful, and yeah. I and just thought it was so wait. like. Good for Harry for getting a handful, too. <laughs> it wasn't purposeful. I, yes, I mean, I, I don't consider it purposeful. I don't know. I've had make-out sessions, and I don't think that I, I ever touched a guy's chest and, like, he reciprocated it without acknowledging what he was doing. I mean, seriously. It just was very... And that's why I was like, well, maybe it wasn't a boob group. Maybe it was just... <laughs> A nice, compassionate heart group thing. Yeah, you keep being optimistic like that. <laughs> I'm not trying to be optimistic. Like, I'm trying to get in Harry's mentality, and I just, I don't know, but he acted very surprised. So perhaps no, I don't think he, I don't think he meant to do what he did. Like, I don't think he thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to go for it. But yeah. I think when it happened, he thought everything had been so good for just a few minutes. Why couldn't they go back to that? Yeah. Okay. If we have done, are we done dissect, dissecting the uh, the race to second base here? Okay. <laughs> There's so much. I have, I have so much work to do. That's a podcast okay. in and of itself. I mean, Ron and Ron and Hermione are the ones getting it on, but. You get the details with Harry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm singing. Let's get up. Okay. Um, yeah, oh. so Hermione, what? Nothing. She just started saying, let's get on, and I was going to object. <laughs> so, hey, that's a great song. That's a great song. Don't be good Marvin Gaye over there. Thanks, wait, wait, wait. Who sang that? Marvin Gaye. Well, then let him sing it. Oh, oh, burn. <laughs> we should. We'll have it playing in the podcast. And, and Do you know, <laughs> my 17-year-old brother says that, Mac. Points. Okay, so here's what we need to do. We need to have a moment of silence for Harry and Ginny's relationship. And I'm going to say that. And then once we do, you need to play Let's Get On. <laughs> okay, moment of silence, folks. Three, two, one.
Okay, so in the next part, Hermione has started to think. Blah, right. blah, 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 blah. I hate <laughs> thinking. I think thinking is the stupidest thing in the entire world. And yet it's interesting. But I could and never nothing, be a nothing positive comes out of it. Nothing whatsoever. No. She's like sta- sitting there like freaking, I don't know, Buddha. And and Buddha? no offense to the Buddhists out there. Um, that... I mean, I can't, I can't, I know I've talked about thinking in a different podcast, and so if you all want to know my thoughts on thinking, look back to my two past podcasts, but I don't know. To me, she should realize by now that she get, she learns, she does her best thinking when she is either talking to someone else or Ron says something and she gets it, and so why she's wasting her day away, like, in the middle of her room thinking is beyond me. Whatever, Hermione, if you're such a thinker, think something and quit thinking in the middle of the room because you don't think that way, thinker. Yeah. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody, Nobody like, thinks that way. and use the word think as many times as you possibly could with as many different meanings as you could. <laughs> I think you just said think no less than ten times in a single sentence. <laughs> oh, you're um, jealous. <laughs> yes, I am totally jealous. I know about anything with jealous <laughs> verbal promiscuity. Oh, what? thank you. <laughs> I am sensual with my words. Oh, anyway, God. I love it. Okay. I love it. It's great. It's all good. So, okay. So, what happened? So, um, Remus comes in, and she's all dazed because she's been thinking, whatever, and. <laughs> I hate this. I feel so negative about thinking. I don't know. Do y'all feel negative about thinking? I don't know. I, you know, as a creative person, I, I think it's kind of bizarre to, like, sit down and try to, like, force inspiration because it just, it doesn't work like that, you know? It's always when you're you know, doing something really inconvenient. And, yeah, so I don't know. I, I think it was an interesting idea gone just badly executed. So, yeah. All right, well, just so you guys know, my phone's about to die. Lovely. Oh. So if I, I suddenly drop off, just wrap up without me. Okay. Okay. Because I can't get to my charger right now. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's keep going. Let's try to finish this real quick, seriously. Okay, so he, she, she talks to Remus. She she tells him about you know the crying spell. He thinks it's fabulous. He's impressed. It is awesome. It's freaking awesome. You know they yeah. start talking about Ginny, and he he wants to allow Hermione to talk to Ginny, and yet he doesn't because he's worried about her because he knows that she's too. Thinned out. Right. She's got too many things going on. And she, you know, she says, but it's my parents, you know. What can he say? Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. What? What do you think? 
You know, I, yeah, they're they're all spread too thin. They're all doing too much, and they all have problems <laughs> with it, dealing with it. You know, and um, I, I how they it was basically Halteroptus snouts fair, and they um Snout they run into <laughs> okay, sorry, <laughs> they run into Ron and Sirius. <laughs> Sirius is obviously consumed. Some pretty serious. Yeah, snout, liquid curse has got to be like some kind of grain alcohol because I, you mean people get pretty slashed on, sloshed on it pretty fast, you know, like gold and takes, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or you know, Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, weed. I mean, it's something, but um, yeah, it's good stuff apparently. Yeah. I just love how they're always so nonchalant. Oh, so-and-so's drunk. Okay. Like, it's just normal. Sirius is an alcoholic thought. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah. Sorry? You go. Oh, well, you know, then she gets by Ron, and, you know, she starts talking about her parents, and... He's immediately concerned, even though he's somewhat drunk. Right. You know, and I just love that she wants to give him a kiss. He's so sweet. And Remus is like, I mean, Sirius is snickering like a child. Yeah. And I... Sirius, oh, such a two-year-old all the time. I know, he's like, Remus, I love it when you wear your hair like that and those robes bring out the dirt under your fingernails. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh and then Hermione's like yeah and I'm like thinking and her, Ron's like you're the worst thinker ever and she's like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like dude that's brilliant I, I don't know there is just everybody's interaction here is just great it's great dialogue and yes. then they start you know of course if it's serious he is like where a serious conversation is going to go back to Dementors as fan. He is happy for two seconds, and of course, it's got to be misery with him. Right. So they start talking about depressing stuff, and, you know, Remus starts to cry. You know, he's, I don't think he cries, but I think he starts yeah. being that, you know, being cold and just desperate and all that horrible things when he remembers. And, you know, gets on his rant, his, you know, like his mission. And, you know, you hate it. It's so hard to see Sirius be like this. It's so hard to see Sirius act. I mean, you keep seeing these glimpses of who Sirius could be. And then as soon as you see them, they're gone. Right. And he's back to being the ex-prisoner. And it's really horrible. And you feel for him. And I just want to cry. And... (sighs) I don't know, and I love, again, that Hermione learns, you know, Sirius is talking, blah, 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 and Hermione's like, oh, you know, she starts picking up things that he's saying and thinking them over, and the best way she thinks, yeah, I don't know, what do you have, do you have any thoughts about any of this? I mean, this is great, it's kind of just dwindling in, it's like, to me, it was always like the third act is beginning, like the the second act of the story is done like this chapter is like the end of a Jenny and Harry have ended things. They're friends. 
sort of, not really. They're not getting along. Um, yeah. They have presented a new problem. Hermione is back from Cortona. Um, she's finally thought of a way to fix her parents. Um, you can tell the end is near because you can tell that the things that you've been wanting to happen all along are starting to come together. A plan is being built. Right. And Ron and Hermione's relationship, you know, is even better. And I love how the story ends even on he pulls her close and he goes, you want to go home? And she nodded, but she wasn't ready to move yet. For once in public, she shut her eyes and let Ron hold her for a very long time. I love that that shows. I mean, you see, like, what Hermione went through today just by that action alone. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, you feel it because you see what she knows. She's figured out what has to be done, and she sees the long road of work ahead of her, and she just... It's her time to take a moment and go, you know, kind of sigh before opening her eyes, lifting her chin, and getting moving on with things. Right, right. So it was an excellent close, but it. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the it's the um this is the beginning of the end. You know, it's the beginning of the end. It is the beginning of the end, and they, you know, you can kind of see. Um, even even the writing style is kind of just kind of <sighs> like things are gonna work out, you know. We all, I mean, we have some issues with Harry and Jenny, but they're both dense and dense people usually work things out eventually. And you know, I I there's some um, from here on out, there's some of the best writing in the second. Absolutely. From here on out, you think? And, I think I don't know, but but all those all things that happened up to this point had to happen for this chapter right. to happen, for the next chapter to start. I think I think very easily that this this story could have been broken up in three novels. And to me this is the excellent end of the second one. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. I, a new I day. Mm, Yeah, it, it's a new day. It's a new I mean, a new set of minor problems, but the most of the the major ones are on their way towards being resolved. You know, we have some, uh, just some, just some minor characterization things we need to clear up, and you know, um, just a few problems to solve, but they're both on their way to being solved. And this is just, you know, the dialogue gets better. The, it, it just, I think. Um, I mean, not to say that it wasn't good in the beginning, because it was good in the beginning. Um, but Arabella and Zinnia, find, they find, I mean, they've had a rhythm the whole time, but this is where it gets really, you know, yeah. it gets to be expert, you know. It's very, um, it's, it's, you know, there aren't as many things that I could pick on if I wanted to from here on out. So that's, <laughs> that's nice. So. I think this is I think this is a good place to end this podcast because it does feel like an ending moment. I mean, it really it is, and it's kind of like the story takes a step back, and and at the same time, everything is pivoting forward. We know we know where the story is going. We know the plot now. We know what's going to happen. It's and and now I'm just on the edge of my seat, waiting for it to happen, waiting to see how it happens, and how they deal with it happening and you know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this 
So anyway, um, well, is that a good end for you then? This is a good end for me. Do you um, just want to hit, oh, um, if you have any comments about tonight's podcast, um, email Jen Mack or uh, Lady Chi at potterfickweekly.com. We'd be like, we'd be uh, excited to hear from you for sure, and uh, we do our best to respond to comments um, both on the forum and and through personal emails. So um, go that route, and please, and please let us know what you thought of the episode. We appreciate any and all reviews of the podcast. We do take into account. Um, what you have to say, and we try to incorporate those things into the podcast. And I also want to give a shout out um, to remember to remind everyone that if they do want to participate in these discussions, to uh, do the chapter discussions in the After the End forum, we do read them before we do the podcast and try to incorporate things that people say and use quotes and things. And I also want to um, emphasize again the importance of writing your questions down for the Q&A with Arabella and Virginia that's coming up very, very soon. If you have any comments or voicemails that you would like to leave, please um, either write them in the forum or uh, voicemail them to staff at Potterfic Weekly. I want to thank Mac um, for being so willing to... Uh, do this last minute, and he did an excellent job as a guest host, and we really appreciate him and love him. And please, everyone, um, give him a pat on the back and thank him for doing the podcast and let him know how much we appreciate him doing it. And I also want to thank Miss Lady T, who has been lovely last night, and we were supposed to record last night just the two of us, and I ended up having a tornado. And she has just been lovely through this whole process and very calm. And she, in fact, is editing this episode. So everyone, um, give give her a job well done, pat on the back, and a thanks for her hard effort and her hard work. We really do appreciate you. Love you, too. Love you, too. <laughs> and so I just want to say that this is Jen, and we're signing off. And I really enjoyed doing this podcast. I love I love talking to people, and I really like doing the episodes with guest hosts. I think they bring a lot to the table, and I enjoy our conversations and discussions a lot. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. And Max says bye, too, but his phone died. Bye. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Phil Saltez, and uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, your podcast, and in particular, a huge, huge, huge fan of After the End. Uh, it is the only uh, fanfic that I've ever read, and it's just absolutely amazing. It actually uh, inspired me, uh, as I read it, to write several of the outtakes that uh, you can find at the After the End uh, group website uh, through Yahoo. So I wrote the After the End outtake for um, that was between Chapter 10 and 11 uh, called Alone with His Thoughts. And I also wrote the outtake called Healing that was the results of Ginny's healing session with Ron from his point of view. So I know that there's an upcoming episode of the podcast that was going to deal specifically with the outtakes. So I don't know if you were just planning on doing the the internal outtakes that were written by Arabella and Zenia or what you were planning on doing, but I'm stuck in the Philippines on business right now, and I'm going to be here for four weeks. So 
I would love to hear uh, anything that you guys have to say. Um, I think you guys are doing a great job, by the way. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potherfickweekly.com or you can email staff at potherfickweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643 and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length or you can email us an audio file to our email address and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called The Gizmo Project and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit potherfickweekly.com.